Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 26 of Sketch Watch Play. I am John Flurry. And I'm Christopher Wade. How are you doing, ladies and gentlemen? I hope they are doing well. Uh, happy belated Easter for recording this almost week afterward. Yes. Uh, we are a twice-a-month geek pop culture podcast talking TV, film, cartoons, video games, and all sorts of topics that fall into those categories. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and I think just most general podcast directories. I use a third-party app on my phone, and we're there. Uh, so if you enjoy what you hear and you're new to us, please consider subscribing to us on your platform of choice to stay up to date. You can follow us on social media at sketchwatchplay on Twitter and facebook.com slash sketchwatchplay, which seems to be our most popular social portal right now. Uh, and we encourage you to leave uh, feedback on those. Uh, it would really help if people leave reviews on iTunes because apparently that helps people uh, – that makes them promote it more or something. Mm-hmm. You can also email us directly via sketchwatchplaygmail.com. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, and suggest possible topics for us to talk in the future. We're totally open to that. Yeah. How have things been for you, Chris? How did Easter and everything in the past week or two go? Easter Easter was all right. I can't make it's, it's I can't make any good general complaints. I did you see my post on Twitter asking people like if they ever uh did the thing that I used to do as a kid? Which one? I'm, okay, so my Easter tradition as a child was to well my grandmother would wake us up bright early in the morning to mm-hmm. go watch the sun dance during Easter during Easter morning because that's apparently what the sun does to celebrate the them to celebrate uh, Easter. Um, Easter yeah to celebrate like, uh, yeah yeah <laughs> no one answered that <laughs> uh, did you do it this year uh, no not this year it was when I was a kid okay was, uh, okay I mean it's still a good excuse Easter's I appreciate Easter the same way I do Christmas and that's a good excuse to get family together. Yeah, that's always um, nice. I've mentioned in the past I have a big assistant family, so mm-hmm. uh, I spent – I went down Saturday afternoon and spent that until Easter afternoon at my parents' farm that I've talked about, which is like a really little remote area of, of Maryland where the rest of the family was. Yeah. Um, and you know this, and so did some people who know me on like Facebook and Instagram and such – uh, it is still a tradition for when we get up, they hide our baskets of candy and are like, go find it in the house. But yeah. uh, they were doing something interesting this year where they were like, please stay in your room. And my mom was marching back up up and down the hallway making a lot of noise. Oh. Uh, and we heard a lot of – we started hearing like – sound like bird chirps. And for, for the record, it was me, my brother Patrick, past guest of the show, uh, his girlfriend Kaylin and uh, our sister Caroline. And he was saying to us because we share a room at the farm, are, are those coming from inside the house? And I was like, I, I bet it's just, just a bird on the roof or right outside. But then we walked into the room and it very much sounded like uh, little baby chicks peeping from the living room and kitchen. And oh, wow. So just a, a little gra- groundwork for – why they were uh, they got baby chicks because it's not a case of john take them home with you and raise the chicken no yeah. my my parents are legit starting in the early stages of a farm there they legit oh, wow. would love That's... to devote themselves to it when they retire my mom grows vegetable gardens and my dad uh tells has both uh, a bee beehive far away from the house obviously yeah. and they that he's harvested some honey from but also a chicken coop uh, we've oh, wow. had for a while four fully grown hens who lay mm-hmm. eggs. Uh, we're not gonna. Uh, I, uh, he also does consider them like pets, so he's not going to just chop their heads off yeah, uh, yeah, unceremoniously. Yeah. So, but he had been meaning to expand and maybe get some roosters. So he went to a uh-huh. farmer's market the, the previous day, bought four baby chicks, um, and he let the cute thing was. So he put each one of them in a, another container next to the basket so they wouldn't run out, and yeah. let us spend the morning each with a chick and name it. So oh. 
I named mine Whiskers because um, chicks aren't super loud, but they are very talkative. Like yeah. you hear the peep, peep, peep. They just keep it going. Yeah. And they, it's the same with adult chickens. They just cluck all the time. Yeah. And so I was picking him up and petting it and just trying to get it calm because I, I don't know if I was scared or just excited. But the moment I tried, all right, I'll just kind of hug it. And I put it under, you know, my beard because I didn't shave for a few days. Yeah. And it got really quiet and comfy. Like, oh, you like my beard. Well, I'm naming you Whiskers. And the other names were more silly. Uh, is Patrick named his Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and Caroline. Quite the way with, what? I was saying you have quite the way with birds, dude. It's quite adorable. Oh yeah, we've talked about squawks in the past, and yeah. I had you know a parakeet before that. Yeah, I love animals. What can I say? Mm-hmm. Um, Patrick, yeah, Patrick named his Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Caroline named hers uh, John Muir, who's like the creator of social environmental it's something that she's studying i guess wow. uh and caitlin was the only other normal name she named her judy mm, okay and apparently that's the only one we actually know is a girl because Aww. of the markings of the species so any of these other three could be uh either gender and so there's a good chance we'll have our first rooster so they're keeping them my parents are obviously they've, they've took this this whole week off at the state of the farm and keep an eye on the chicks they have them at a little uh they're not out with the main ones yet because they're apparently and I guess it's explains the beard. Chicks, until they're fully grown and have their feathers, they need a lot more heat than most animals. It's, I can, it's, yeah. They can't that makes sense. do it for themselves. So he has them in a little tub in the basement with a big red heat lamp. You know, mm-hmm. the next best thing to a mama hen to sit under. Yeah. And keeping them fed, keeping the, keeping an eye on them. They're very, very cute little birds. And it'll be funny. Apparently, the beats are almost full size within like a month. Like wow. these things grow crazy crazy fast even by other animal standards that's that's amazing cool yeah so that was the big thing uh also caught up with with some other family uh found out by chance uh a distant relative's current job is organizing events for mike pence so there's that Uh, okay Uh, and the other two things i'll i'll say real quick uh mimi was there my grandma i mentioned in the past uh this a week ago i put up her latest movie watch that i talked about with uh i showed her avengers she freaking loved it uh, uh, and it that video's blown up, man. It's already hit oh, it hit a hundred thousand views today. Oh wow, that's cool. And it's gotten me like I flew past two thousand subscribers up to like twenty five hundred now. That's and awesome. I had been wondering if I should keep doing that because I'm like I don't want people to just watch those, but it actually turns out it's bumping up the views of my other stuff too, the cartoons, yeah. the reviews. So I'm like I these make and I think the other thing that convinced me is I look at the comments for these videos and you know how YouTube comment sections are, but this is like the most genuine YouTube comment section in the world. That makes good. people so happy. That's good. Cause I mean, cause there are people who, who genuinely want to come to YouTube just for just, just to have nice, sweet things happen to their eyes. And that's, well, that's fine. That's Mimi in a nutshell. Yeah. Like I, I would love you for you and Serena to meet my parents. And I'd also love for you to meet Mimi. Cause She's just the nice old grandmother incarnate, pretty much. Oh, that'd be sweet. Yep, maybe someday. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is, uh, oh, two, yeah, two quick things. One, you might be able to notice it in this show after I say it. I went and bought a pop filter. A um, pop filter? Do you know what those are? Oh yes, yeah, so for your microphone, right? Yeah, it's it's yeah. kind of it's like a little screen you clip in front of your mic, and yeah, yeah, yeah. basically, have- if you listen to old episodes, sometimes if you do like a P noise, like the hard a hard P, they call it, like a puh. Then, yeah, then yeah. the sound pops. It like it crackles a little bit because you kind of blow the mic out. Oh yeah, yeah. I actually have one, so I mean, yeah, I, I don't I, feel I, like I, you do it often, but I felt like I was due for it with this and the reviews. Yeah. Uh, and the other quick thing is, we talked about this a little bit because I think we brought up in the past. I, I mentioned in the past we that we loved the idea of the uh, YouTube animation collabs because mm-hmm. um, your favorite, you one of your favorite things last year was the animated grump. 
and yeah. I brought up the Mom Luigi reanime, which an old friend of ours worked on, Todd. Yeah. Uh, and I actually finally watched that in full the other day, and holy shit, I knew it would be really well animated, but I didn't expect to laugh as hard as I did. Yeah, like, yeah. Every other some... shot that's throwing something ridiculous at you, and it's great. Yeah, there's some genuine talent out there that's pulling off some pretty but, awesome stuff. Well, I, I, we're we're both kind of dipping our toes into this idea. Uh, if it's okay for me to mention what you're doing, go for it. Uh, it's I know there's a trend with Nintendo stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I you've gotten you I I sent this thing to you and you're like oh yeah I'm already in it I was like oh sweet and I almost said <laughs> shit but uh, I said that would make sense I applied for it but I think they were already full up by then they're doing a Kirby reanime uh, mm-hmm. an episode of the Kirby anime the very meta one where they make their own anime yeah um, yeah you can see clips that have been finished on Twitter some of it looks like legit fin- amazing like I'm excited mm-hmm. for that because actually I actually do like that show quite a bit yeah uh, I know you mentioned you liked the the forked stuff back in the day. And the other, so mine is uh, not as high class, but I think there's going to be a lot of humor from it. Some guy had the idea: let's reanimate all the cutscenes from Hotel Mario. Oh boy! Oh, the spaghetti. Well, have fun. I am. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah, cool yeah. To do animate Mario and Luigi talking, and yeah. you know, you're not res- you're not restricted by those the dumb art style of that. The timing and audio, yes, but that's they've said like because those if you watch those cutscenes, there are pauses because I think the disc is loading, and they're yeah. like you can fill that stuff that are like visually with whatever you want. Don't edit the audio, but so I'm I'm having Mario read one line, and like Luigi duck in, looking all freaked out. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to say it right here because I brought up it like briefly and uh, I'm putting early pieces and ideas for it together. But I'm going to wait until I finish my Mario shot. Uh, it's I'm going to try and make it happen. Donkey Kong Country reanimate. That's going to be great, dude. Because I know a lot of people have – they have – I don't want to say – well, I don't want to say they remember positively about no, Donkey Kong Country. some people do like the show. Yeah. yeah I like well, elements of it. Well, I think yeah, I think elements of it is what it's gonna. I feel like it would benefit the most from reanimation because it just looks so shitty. Yeah, it's gonna be. I think it's. I think there's a lot to pull from because of how I found a good episode for it too. Because it's well, one, it has like legit almost all the main characters in it, and two, Mm -hmm. it doesn't involve that stupid coconut. It's them just looking for buried treasure, which I'm like, if you were gonna do an actual show closer to the game, like yeah, that could be a plot. Yeah. there's still horrible songs in acting animation, but whatever. Yeah, there are. It'll but be fun gotta, to work with. Yeah, I think you'll have. A, I think you guys will have a good time. I'll I'll keep people posted on when that stuff happens. I'm working on some other stuff for now. But uh, let's get into. So this is an all movie episode. Yes, kind of a rarity is. for us. I feel like we usually mix have a mix of like that sh- or TV shows or games. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll start with our current media. Will be we each saw one very very current uh, movie, and I'll just go first because. Uh, now, granted, I, it's in limited release right now, but around the time this episode comes out, you'll probably be close to or able to find it in full release. Uh, and that is Wes Anderson's second animated film, Isle of Dogs. We get the idea. You're looking for your lost dog spots. Does anybody know? No. Mm-hmm. Now, now the, I, now, the first animated film was was what? It was uh, Fantastic, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yes, it was. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and I, you, I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. Do you have any other familiar, familiar experience with uh, with him, the director? Oh, oh, totally. Like, uh, um, Fantastic Mr. Fox was one that I watched. Yeah. And I caught um, what was um, the Grand Budapest Hotel, which yeah, is, one was I think yeah, it was which the most great. recent one. What? Which was great. I want to see it. It sounds. It looks up my alley because honestly, years ago I tried watching Life Aquatic and I like gave up after a half hour. It just didn't seem like my kind of film. But um, and I actually I liked because I saw Fantastic Mr. Fox in theaters with both my siblings because it was based on a Roald Dahl book who I I adore that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And I actually remember as a kid that being one of the least less impressive books, but they took some liberties and made a really cool movie out of it. And I actually liked it more the second time I watched it because I had a better wow. idea of what kind of style I was in for. Because mm-hmm. um, he, even when he does a stop motion cartoon, it just has a unique, quirky, do your do things your own way kind of vibe to how it's framed and timed and written. Definitely. And Isle of Dogs, like. The plot is it. The plot at its core is very different. But looking at this movie and listening to and watching it, you can totally tell that this is the same guy. And I assume some of the same creative team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's yes, it is a pretty safe bet that if you enjoyed uh, Fox and his general vibe, this should be right up your alley. I really liked it. So cool. Um, and I will say, if if you're uh, a listener of us who is in the D.C. Maryland area and you want to see it early, I saw it at the Angelica Theater in the Mosaic District in in Fairfax. Uh, yeah. and, I, and I meant to tell you, uh, it took me a second to recognize the one of the workers there at the cafe. It was James yeah. Rambo. Yeah, I saw. I, I caught Rambo a couple of times over there. I did yeah. not know until the I went there to see the movie, mm-hmm. and uh, that was fun to to catch up with him. Uh, the guy who taught you to find to be able to enjoy movies even when they're bad, like with yeah, Mario. Yeah. So thanks, yeah, James. Def- yeah, definitely. Um, um, so I, I'm trying to figure out. Like, I heard there was like a weird um, limited release for some reason. Like, uh, do you know anything more about that? It's yeah. No, I did just do uh, research that yeah, it opened in limited release about a week or two ago, but it's going to go wide in uh, about a week and a half, I think. Um, Yeah. Maybe next weekend, and that happens sometimes with quirkier movies. I think. Okay. Get open it early, so like to get the diehard Anderson or art house fans in, and then uh, after you made some money, you can open. I, I don't know if that's the thing behind it, but it's a thing Hollywood does pretty often with. I, they do it with more out of the box movies, I think. Okay, I'm sure there's okay. a financial reason for that. Um, okay, but and it's it, it is kind of interesting to apply that to this movie because um, something I do admire about it in Fantastic Mr. Fox is I'm really grateful. Like I feel like people, even if you're someone who doesn't like his style in these movies, you can at least appreciate that we still ha- have directors who are able to make these totally against the mold cartoons that get wide yeah. release and decent budgets. That that mm-hmm. almost never happens. But if you get a director with enough clout, like like Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. you get stuff like this. And uh, like. Uh, now, do you know anything about the like the plot or cast of this movie? I know a little bit about the plot, but why don't you go ahead and let our viewers it's, know? Just uh, in case near future, don't. near future Japan. It's all set in Japan. The idea is they do a prologue where like there's a dog narrator because the dogs all talk. Um, yeah. Also, if you're a cat person, you might get pissed off. There are only a few cats in this being held by villains like their Blofeld or Doctor Evil's cat, uh, and they don't talk, and they all have like perpetual scowls like their grumpy cat. No, uh, I love it. Wes Anderson is clearly a dog person. Sorry, Good. Serena. Uh <laughs> But the idea is a dog. Basically, a dog flu epidemic happened. They're getting like you know they're they're very germ ridden. They're sick. And people are worried about it spreading. So the leaders ultimately decide to quarantine and relocate the dogs to, like, this trash island, junk. And, like, they'll, they'll drop rations for them and stuff. But it's like, we they got to stay there from now on. Uh, but as it turns out, the mayor of Japan, I guess, or maybe – I think if they say it's of a district, but he was the main guy who spearheaded the, the, the quarantine. His nephew, who he, who he is his ward, uh, his own dog was taken as a result of it. So the catalyst Aww. is this kid whose name is Atari – uh, mm-hmm. Flying his own plane and crashing on the aisle, hoping to find uh, spots. His dog. He's bought a. Yeah. He's bought a picture. Now all the dogs, 
Fantastic Mr. Fox actually did make it clear at some point that the animals and humans could just talk to each other just because. Yeah. Uh, this is a little more unclear. I, I want to say no, but it's it's hard to say because there's hmm. – uh, but, but, but so all the dogs, they do speak English and uh, there's a lot of recognizable names. The main characters basically, basically are not any of the humans but uh, Chief who is the leader of this main pack. We follow voiced by Brian Cranston who's great. And nice. uh, the dog Spots, who that you know the guy he came look that Atari is looking for. We get some flashbacks of his time with him because he basically assigned as like a bodyguard dog, but learned to love yeah. him. Uh, and then when we do reunite with Spots, uh, he's got his own like whole subplot and stuff going on. Uh, it's interesting to see where that goes and how it connects with other characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, voiced by Leaf Shiver, by the way. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of other like the rest of the dogs, even the small ones, get a lot of big names because Chief is with this like quartet of or i can't remember i think it's four other dogs who uh if i do have a complaint about those is that they don't get enough time to shine like they generally maybe have one little quirk the main one i know is, uh there's one voice by jeff goldblum who for whatever reason he's always the one just to, to like bring the news to them like did you hear the rumor about this and this oh, and at one point God. they even ask him like how do you know all this and he's like well, i mean where gets around you didn't hear about this um there's, <laughs> love- there, there's like con- concepts like one of them was a mascot for a dog food company that closed down when the epidemic happened Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is the, the is the mascot for like a baseball team and stuff like that. Cute stuff like like little gimmicks like that. But I will say their, rep, their their banter between each other through the movie is really really fun. It is like I may have made it sound like a very dire uh, premise, but even when sad things happen in Anderson's movies, they generally don't go for a gloomy serious vibe. There's still a lot of like asides, uh, quirky visuals, mm. quirky concepts, and I, I, I kind of there are even parts of it where I feel like they they're initially not sure what you're meant to feel. Um, this is it would be a spoiler if it was it wasn't a fake out. Midway through the movie, they're like on a gondola, and Chief and Atari are separated. The other dogs are talking to him, and then they go right into a factory that's marked like slaughter and skin and the idea. Like I was like, and then the movie just keeps going oh. like. Chief and Atari are walking up like, okay, maybe these guys are dead, maybe not, but I got to keep you going to destination because it's partly a road trip movie. And so for like five minutes, there's funny stuff going on, but I was legit unsure. Did you just slaughter two-thirds of the main cast very casually? Um, And at the end of the scene, they cut to them and you see that every part of the factory is going off like two seconds before they pass it. So there's a bunch of that. And then one of them casually goes, you know, I think think this is calibrated, right? We'd already be dead. Like that kind of very dry humor. Uh, Glad that stuck with us. Uh, with it, yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? I'm talking. Yes, no, I can. No, I can. What were you saying? Okay, I was saying that I'm glad that the dry humor uh, kind of stuck with this. Yes, film. I don't feel like Wes Anderson had to sacrifice or compromise any of his any of his quirky style. And I'm sure the death was. Not, I mean, the death. The uh, budget was not gigantic because Fantastic Mr. Fox in this they do not go for a very smooth or super detailed uh, stop motion like like or like the recent Tim Burton stuff. It's yeah. It, it gives me the vibe of when you would see like small or foreign stop motion productions just randomly pop up on TV from like the eighties. It did. It did seem that way. I'm guessing. I'm fun. sure if I looked into it, that might be an inspiration. Like Wes Anderson wanted to recapture that kind of herky jerky but still artistic vibe because the, the the environments you see in this, yeah, there's not a ton of detail, but just the way they're constructed and timed are really really cool, really unique, and. Um, it's an interesting little world he he creates here. It's not it's not conventional. I'd even say Phantom Richard Fox had a, had a much more conventional world in comparison. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so other things. My biggest 
issue with it, and the main thing that keeps you from liking it as much is Fantasy Mr. Fox. Don't make no mistake. I really like and recommend this movie, and it's a personal preference thing. Even though this starts out as very much following this band of dogs, it gradually grows its scope to be – it starts cutting back and forth between the Japanese, the government, and that there are, like, student protesters who try to uncover, like, corruption and the truth and wanting to get the dogs freed and such. Oh, wow. Um, so – but I never felt quite attached to those characters. And, like, by the time the climax happens, it feels like it's mostly shifted over to them. Like, the dogs barely say anything in it, even though they're mm. there. So a bit of a missed opportunity. Uh, okay. That said, there's still some great choreography, and and it actually got kind of tense. Like by the time it got to the climax, I was like legit. Like I know it's been up before, but I don't know where this is going to go. And I won't tell you. Go see it for yourself. But okay. I, um, <laughs> but the, another interesting thing because I want to touch on uh, a quote unquote controversy the movie's been having. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. But yes. Go for it. So okay, the dogs are all voiced by American actors because um, mm-hmm. they're speaking English. Even ones with small. I was actually a little sad that like um. Scarjo voices one of the female dogs that gets an early scene to like play off of uh, Chief, and it's one of the best conversations. And then she's literally gone until like the last five minutes. Oh, uh, um, okay. I think about how much fun the Meryl Streep wife was in a testament to Fox, and was wondering if she'd tag along. Nope. Um, but the human characters, uh, they are all the Japanese characters are voiced by Asian actors speaking Japanese. And it's not even a case of they just stick subtitles at the bottom of every scene. Basically, if like if it's a government presentation, it cuts to somebody in a booth doing English translation voiceover. Um, uh-huh. and, or like there's a scene where like some scientists are researching some stuff and they're talking to each other in Japanese and they print out a consensus that's in English. Do you kind of get the gist of what they were just talking about? Um, like there's okay. not a there's there are a lot of stuff where he's, he's not hitting you over the head with with translating everything because there's some scenes where they're just talking to each other like quietly and none of it is translated. But he's like, I guess his approach was like, I don't want to just force these subtitles twenty four seven. If it's important, I'll get it to you one way. I'll get it across one way or another. Um, yeah, and there's also. Uh, there's also one other um, – I'm, I'm guessing – so, yeah, there are people talking about cultural appropriation or bad uh, portrayal of the, of the Japanese because, yeah, the villains are these Japanese higher-ups. Um, but at the same uh, time, Atari is like one of the most good-hearted characters and I definitely get the vibe from when they, whenever they're showing the Japanese populace. They aren't evil. They're just – be, they're just falling victim to a lot of propaganda and, and manipulation. Okay. And they show they show they're able to have their minds swayed from that. Uh, and maybe the other thing is that there is one. They do put one American character in there. It's voiced by Rita Gorig, Actually, she is part of. She's she's an American exchange student who's in a part of a high school protest group. Um, and so uh-huh. she's obviously the human character who gets the most uh, just direct talking. And, mm-hmm. uh, and actually, just a really funny thing, just to show the quirkiness, um, a lot of the – I was looking at the Japanese cast and I generally didn't recognize them. But there's a scientist uh, played by Yoko Ono named oh, Yoko, wow. named Dr. Yoko Ono and kind of looks ah. like her. And so there is actually Dude. a scene where the Gregor character talks to her and that's where she's, you get the name drop, Dr. Yoko Ono. And they actually have Yoko say a few things in English because uh, okay. given her history with John Lennon, I would assume she can speak some. And that's just – I don't think – they never – there's every reference about her being the same Yoko Ono of our world. It's just – that's how Wes Anderson rolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can I can definitely see how it can be a little problematic to some people. Like that's 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 a justifiable concern. I I did not – I will from, – from my point of view, did not seem like there was any sort of slam on the Japanese populace. And it actually does one thing right that we've been complaining about, and I, people complain about with uh, Kubo, which is let's actually get Asian actors to voice these Asian characters. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Like, All I right. legit, 
other than the Greta Gerwig character playing an American and maybe the Ameri- like the translator who looked like she might be like Western, I, I'm pretty sure all these Japanese were played by Japanese or Asians. Yeah, I think that probably will be a movie that I might check out then. I, uh, I, yeah, I haven't if I haven't made it clear yet because I, I, yes, I complained about the shift in scope, but that's a I feel like that's a personal squabble more than a movie making or writing problem. Uh, yeah, and I, and I and I and I. Did, and I did hear it was pretty good, so I, it's yeah, very good. I mean, yes, I mm-hmm. uh, and I, it's kind of interesting to me. I want to try and give his Wes Anderson's live action shots, some live action movies, another shot because Moonrise Kingdom has been in my Netflix queue for a while, and I do everything I've seen about Grand Budapest Hotel sounds up my alley. Um, Patrick recommended it to me, but he's he's a huge Wes Anderson fan in general. I think he was actually seeing this movie tonight, if not if he didn't yesterday. Uh, I should have asked him for his thoughts, but. Uh, Nice. Yes, so it will be out. Check and see if, if if you're listening to this episode and it's not in full in uh, wide release. Just check online and see if there's a place near you because it could be. If not, just wait a few more days and go see it. Also, cute, Super. not cute thing, a cool thing. This was uh, I finally used my first movie pass ticket to see this thing. Do you know what oh, that is? Oh, cool. No, is, oh, it, is that the? Oh, oh, hold on, is that the one where it's like um, you pay you pay for a monthly pass and you see any movie you want? Yeah, MoviePass is you pay $10 monthly subscription. They send you, you know, a credit card equivalent, and you can see one free movie every day. So if you go to movies a lot, that is a fantastic deal. I'm just ashamed it took me so long to do it. But now I think it's time to turn the main conversation over to you because you also saw a very recent movie. Uh, This one, not a, you know, follow-up in terms of just, oh, it's not the same director, but a a full-on sequel. Uh, So tell me about Pacific Rim Uprising. How'd they get into our world? Someone let them in. Someone from our world. Who is that? Definitely not one of ours. Let's do this. Well, sure, but before I do, um, did you you actually see the first Pacific Rim? Yes, I did. Okay, what did you think about it? I thought it was pretty fun. Um, I agree with people who said the story was shallow, but a blockbuster can be shallow and still be legit, like, engaging. Because I remember watching that opening – I remember – I remember I, – because I reviewed it back in the day. I remember watching that opening scene where it's, like, the two main brothers just quipping bad jokes. And I was like, oh, God, this isn't going to be the whole movie, is it? And then that brother died, and the movie actually tried to take itself a little more seriously. And I had fun with the rest of it quite a bit. And you know what? Uh, this movie does try and do that just a little bit. Um, Pacific Rim 2 was directed by Stephen S. DeKnight. Um, Guillermo del Toro, who directed the first movie, um, uh, um, um, remained on the film as a producer. Right. But, Steve, but Stephen S. DeKnight was apparently uh, he was the uh, he was the creator of Spartacus. Um, the, yeah. the show. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm looking here at the Wikipedia. Yeah, he did Spartacus. That's crazy. Yeah, that, what the blood um, and sand one. Sand, um, my, blood and sand, okay, no joke. gods my, arena. My sister used to quote. We never watched it, but when we saw commercials for a while, she would just randomly go to me, "Spartacus, blood and sand." <laughs> and I oh man, I I did catch a few episodes of Spartacus, and I did like what I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, what um, what Pacific Rim Two essentially does is of the check boxes. What the first Pacific Rim. Uh, did it introduces the giant robots in the world that you're in? Introduces this hotshot, um, hotshot protagonist who obviously thinks he's a shit. And is that John Boyega. World, that's John Boyega. He has to. He basically has the film, you know, crash upon, uh, crash upon his world and shake it just a little bit. Um, but now he's joined by, now he's essentially joined by, joined by a small girl who is an engineer. She basically builds her own 
um, builds her own like uh, giant, yeah, her giant robot, her Jaeger. And there are a lot of new things that are kind of cool in Pacific Rim too. And there's a few, um, um, and there's a few people that actually show up from the first film. Let's see here. I know uh, Charlie Day and that British guy are back. Because they were the main comic yep. relief in the first. They, they they absolutely do return. Who also returns is and I'm this might spoil it for you guys is Rinko Kikuchi. Mako. And she she was Mac and she was Mako from. Mako. That, no, yeah. that's not a spoiler because they were. I think they were promoting that she was gonna return. And that was actually something I wanted to ask you about because um, you know my friend Elizabeth. She she yeah. does a lot of cosplaying and one thing she did last year was of Mako from in her training garb with like the the, the staff. Um, so she I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not, Go ahead. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Mako is my favorite character in Pacific Rim. Yeah, so. I think she was most people's favorite. So, But I was wondering, because yeah. I wasn't seeing her that much in the trailers and stuff, is is her appearance minor? Does she, like, what's her significance in this? Well, I, I'm going to come back to that in a second. And you can, okay. tell, by my hes- you can tell by my hesitation that it's probably not going to be good news. Oh. Um, <laughs> but Pacific Rim 2, uh, it's essentially more of an action flick. It's essentially, I mean, sure, the first one was too, but that one had that one had a lot of um, had a surprising amount of emotional depth to it. I mean, sure, there was corny. a lot of downtime for the characters to grow. Yeah, it was corny. It was cheesy. There were, were a lot of things that you would probably see on Power Rangers and Pacific Rim um, um, and the original Pacific Rim. However, there was still a great, there's still a deep well of. Uh, of emotion that they were pulling from like the care uh, uh, the characters felt like they had a little bit more purpose uh, they, they established they both had personal loss from everything that was yes. going on yes um pacific rim 2 unfortunately does not have much of that i'm hearing uh, people say it's, it's more, very shallow character wise it is it is much more shallow character wise in regards you know, when you compare it to the first one okay. i did not um, i have to be honest i did not have as good a time as i wanted to um and hearing yeah yeah and you know what i I, on paper it seems really great they brought back charlie day they did like the and everyone knows what the plot is with with charlie's character by this point and they actually like uh have a little bit more screen time with the other robots um than what they did because that was a complaint of mine the first where you see all these jaeger and the pilots briefly, but so brief that when they get killed off, I'm just like, whatever. Action scenes are, are a lot more thought out in this one, I have to admit. Cool. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that the first one wasn't was, uh, no, what, was less this, thought out, but I'm saying that in comparison. I like the action. This is encouraging to me because I like the action scenes in the first one quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, they definitely focused a little bit more on what they uh, on on making those scenes better. You remember in the first one when. When uh, uh, um, uh, when the robots were basically drenched in rain and it was nighttime and yeah, there's a whole I bunch like of that's neon like the trademark scene of the movie, pretty much. Yeah, and honestly, it was kind of tough to see some of the action in the first one. In this one, practically all the fight scenes happen in broad daylight without weather effects, so you get a better sense of where to where the robots are, how the characters are reacting does, to it. Now, I will say, does the CG still look pretty good in daylight? The the CG holds up really well during the yeah. daylight scenes, and they made absolute uh, um, the CG artists made absolutely sure that you're able to see up to the minute detail of what's happening with these robots and these monsters fighting. Take note, and that's Bay. yeah, and that's that's super cool. I, I have to admit that um, I had a good time when the action scenes were happening, but it's it was the scenes that were getting me to that point where I felt a little left out and. That's why it's a bit more disappointing in the first one. 
it just you never felt quite as invested because of the shallowness you're talking about yeah that's that's essentially that's essentially it mm. uh, i don't want to get i don't want to get too um too heavy in spoilers but you're not going to see i'm, I'm going to say it right here and there uh, right here and now you're um you're not going to see raleigh in this film and that's a that's a giant shame which wait, which one was I, riley Raleigh was the main uh, was the main protagonist and oh Pacific yeah yeah one. no I, I I forgot his name but is he is he in it at all it's, I thought... it's, he's not in Pacific Rim two at all yeah because I feel like that was confirmed early on he was coming back and John Boyega was pretty much replacing him I actually did not know that um, and I I went into Pacific Rim two completely blind aside from the original trailer like had you assumed there would be some sort of passing of the torch scene at least. I assumed that they would um that him and Mako would at least make some special guest appearances at most. And Mako did, but <laughs> not enough. Uh yeah. <laughs> I I'm gonna leave it at that. It, Sorry, Elizabeth. Yeah, this it, it I had a lot I had a few strikes, but what the what um what transpired with Mako, that was the first strike and it was a pretty mm. big one. So if you're going if you're going in Pacific Rim two I think he might have a good time, but I think the fact that Guillermo del Toro stepped away from it really kind of hurts uh, well, the story. The plus side is, I guess, when he stepped away from it, he did his Shape of Water. He did he did, and, and he won a goddamn Oscar. He, he did, so you know, good on him. I do, I do, um, I, I do think that Giant Robot and Monster Enthusiasts are going to have are, are going to be very well entertained. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you're not if you don't hold Pacific Rim one. Too closely to your chest. I, I think don't. It's I, I do I, like it though. I think it's serviceable. I think uh, mm-hmm. I think it's fine. Sounds like the perfect movie for Movie Pass. Mm-hmm. The right kind of movie for that. I mean, I'm not gonna. I, man, Movie Pass. I was almost gonna go see Sherlock Goddamn Gnomes because I had Movie oh. Pass oh, and I, I wanted oh, to. Oh, have you heard about? Have you listened to any like, or read any of the reviews of that thing? Um, I heard about Sherlock Gnomes. Well, here's the thing. Because did you see the trailer? Yeah. And that trailer was. Like a, a, a crime. Um, uh-huh. Apparently, because there's two different podcasts that saw it, all of the really terrible bathroom humor jokes are nowhere to be found in the movie. Oh, so they only did it for the trailer. They're trying to figure out where they cut, where they created for the trailer because the executives thought that would sell more, which it didn't. The movie tanked, um, and it got bad reviews regardless. But like people are saying, this movie's not as bad. As, it's not good, but it's not as it's not the epic it's mess the- that the trailers promised us. Okay. All right. Well, that's interesting. That's an yeah, interesting well, I, take. I, I okay. would love to, if, if it ever came out, like what the reason, the, the history behind the changes were, or if they were made for, with the ads. Mo- I, I don't know because that's that, co- that still costs money. They still had the actors saying stuff that were in the movie. Yeah, yeah, Very definitely. Um, but I, okay. let's not make this an episode about Sherlock Holmes. Other well, than let's man- get to the main event, shall we? Oh, but I will say it made me so sad when I saw the director of it was the co-director of the first Kung Fu Panda. Ow. Oh. The, the, it was the one I mentioned who hadn't directed anything before. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he, ha- he had done about. a ton of just behind-the-work stuff on all sorts of – a lot of good stuff. So, But, you know, you t- you, you got to eat. You do have to eat. That's for sure. If you're not a celebrity uh, – animation directors are not typically that celebrity type. They can be to us. Like I talked about Brad Bird, Mark Osborne, the other director. But, yeah. You got to do what you got to do. And on that note, let's uh, get into talking about – one of the most interesting backstories of a movie I've ever heard, uh, and the movie itself. Go for it. Now, if you missed the end of our uh, last episode, I mentioned I had the fun idea to do a theme month where 
because we take turns picking the main topic of each episode. So we choose, do we pick a movie? Do we pick a show? Do we pick a game? Do we pick a, some other series? Do we pick a topic? And I was like, let's have a theme where we talk about something. It can be a movie. It can be any of those things. But it's something that we don't feel is particularly well known. Like, so it can be like a movie that tanked. It can be a show that got canceled or whatever or just didn't sell well and that kind of stuff. But, like... It may have caught following, it may not, but it's something that has some special meaning to us. And so I let Chris go first, and because because we had you had a podcaster's block last time, uh, you were trying to come up with uh, like a more general topic, but you were like, let's just do this now. And you picked a really cool pick because it actually gives us a lot to talk about. The technically 1989 Japanese-American co-produced animated movie, Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland. We have been sent here on a mission by King Morpheus, the king of Slumberland. King Morpheus? Slumberland? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Don't forget the present from the princess. I am not finished. Kindly wait your turn. Now, boy, here we go. Here we go. Now, first, Chris, to start off. What is your general history of this movie? When do you remember first hearing about it, and what what made it have a second special significance to you? When I saw it, this um, I saw it like really, really young. So I was about five, maybe six, when this movie actually like aired on television. Yeah, it came uh, out it, in, the, in the theaters and over here in '92, and probably hit theater it videos and TV soon after. Okay, so I was I was significantly older than that. So I was about like maybe ten, maybe nine by the time it came out. Um, if it can, yes. if it by the time it it released on the Disney Channel, I had completely missed it in films. Like I didn't I didn't realize it came out in the theater, and I was like, oh, this is fucking awesome! <laughs> like yeah, like Little Nemo was super super gorgeous, and this was around a time when when weirder, more like experimental animation was starting to show up on cable television. I miss those days at Disney Channel. Like, that yeah. was all original programming. They could just find some... It could be bad, but it could often be interesting, like foreign yeah. animated stuff. Yeah, there were times when I'd see, like, Animal Olympics and the Felix Heard the that. Cat movie. Which we have mentioned. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or the American Rabbit, where it was just some huh. dumb, fluffy-looking rabbit uh, with big, dumb ears. I have seen it to that. Oh boy, it is nuts! Some of the it's, stuff that came out. He has out the voice with. of Donatello. If he runs really fast, he turns the colors of the American flag, gets roller skates, and is basically Superman. I'm not gonna lie, I thought it was the coolest goddamn thing since Sonic the Hedgehog, and I was so happy about oh, that. Man, he movie. has some similarities, uh, but yeah. And so this was one of them. And so after that, mm-hmm. like, did you did you ever own a copy uh, back then? Um, I could only catch it when it would show up on TV and every now and then Disney Channel would do like an encore presentation like right after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never I was never able to find it on VHS. I'm, I'm, I might have like watched it at a friend's house or something um, when they like picked it up from Blockbuster. But other than that, like I was just like, cool, it's on Disney Channel. I'm going to. I'm going to rewatch it as many times as I can because I'm going to record over one of my older VHS tapes and watch the shit out of it. And I did just that. Yeah, I was going to say, if you couldn't find the VHS to buy back in those days, you could tape your own copy. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's essentially what I did. No joke. I did that with the Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah. And man – this is a beautiful fucking film. Yeah, like, I'm gonna to this day. Yeah, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna play a little memory uh, for our listeners here in the final edit uh, because I, you first like 
brought up and gushed by this movie. Well, I brought it up because we were talking in our Sonic retrospective. I brought up how – now, to make it clear, this was primarily the work production-wise of an anime studio called TMS. Mm-hmm. And they – and I mentioned – we had uh, – no, you I you brought up that they did the uh, Chaos Emeralds episode of – of Sonic, mm-hmm. of Adventures of Sonic, which were really well yeah. animated. And I rattled off, like, some of the American stuff they did work on back in the day. And I mentioned, like, they were primarily responsible for Little Nemo. And you – I'll, I'll, I'll play it. But you kind of said the same thing. Like, it's some of the best studio animation you will ever see. They solely did that movie Little Nemo, which I'm not a fan yeah. of the story, but its visuals are wonderful. Visually, Little Nemo is fucking amazing. Best yeah. 2D things I've ever seen. And yeah, I will the, say, the, I will the, say before we get, we're not going to get to our, our full synopsis and touch just yet. But in that regard, I totally agree with you. This is a consistently phenomenal looking movie, and yeah, I cannot imagine how much every artist put their all into it, animation wise. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so this movie had, does have a crazy history. Do you are you aware of any of its history I'm, or its inspiration? I'm uh, familiar with it, like. To some degree, I, did Miyazaki work on this film? To okay, some degree, I I did some research, so I'll go through things. Are you aware of where what where Little Nemo originally came from? Yes, Windsor McKay um, did a um, did a comic strip about yes. it, and it now, was super popular. Yes. Now, for those who who don't know, like even if you you're into animation, you might not be aware of this and who Windsor McKay is. We actually owe a lot to this guy in terms of the field of animation because he was one of the first guys to start dabbling in it back when moving pictures were a thing and he actually did do i know his first breakout thing was he did a thing called gertie the dinosaur where he would project yeah. this like black and white cartoon dinosaur moving around the idea was it was a stage act where he would walk around in front of it and he timed his action dialogue and the dinosaur responses like it was his pet so he'd be like shame on you gertie and she would cry and they'd be like here have an apple and an apple would show up on the screen very cool idea to this day actually but before that he was doing yes newspaper comic strips uh back in the day when they were like a lot bigger and a lot more intricate and one of these was Little Nemo, which was – I have not full-on read it, but I've seen individual things. You can certainly tell by the art style that it's a time, it's from that time period. But it was still very imaginative. It actually does have characters and elements that were reimagined for this movie. Uh, I will say there was one thing – one character they left out, and I think you know what I'm talking about. They had good reason to. You're talking about Flip, aren't you? No. I'm talking no. about Impy. Are you aware of Impy? I am aware of MP. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I would recommend anybody Good choice Google of them it. not using him. Yes, yes. <laughs> I kind of feel like there's some other side characters they have that are kind of surrogates, but uh, they're – basically the idea of the imp was that he was a little tribal fellow, which in the game that it was the 20s, yes, exactly what you think. Grass skirt, those grotesque lips, like this is was what def- Africans are, like – yeah. This this is what black people look like. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, oh. Yeah. Uh, we have, <laughs> you don't see that now for a reason unless it's specifically the period that kind of mm-hmm. kind of garbage. Yeah, um, that was that was a good call not putting him in a movie. Flip as, was a little as much Flip. shit as we give Japan for depictions of black people. I think even they knew. And at the same time, like I said, this was a co-production, so I'm sure they there was some people. But so talk about this 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 movie because apparently Little Nemo in general does have. I, I, yeah, like I said, I haven't read it, but it actually had a big influence on a lot of artists back then. So obviously that has been passed down to other artists, even if we don't know it. 
Like, McKay, both his comic and animation work, uh, race them aside, were very important and influential for many artists and works. And Mm -hmm. so, basically, the genesis of how this project came to be was, I have it right here, it was directed by a longtime worker at TMS, and it was kind of spearheaded by him. His name was Yutaka Fujioka. I looked him up, and he did a lot of... I don't know if he directed anything else big that stuck out to me, but he was consistently working at TMS, so I think he eventually did earn the right to, to... pitch this project and basically he not only did he love this trip but he had a dream ha 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 that because of he could take this thing and he loved the idea of making an international collaboration and hit like we're not just going to make this for us and we're not going to make this with us let's get this is an american creation let's have americans work on this write it help with the animation and writing and music and voice acting stuff we'll handle the brunt of the um, of the actual animation production but this can he like he legit flew out to uh, McKay's estate to convince his right holders and family to give him the right the movie rights. And b- even before proper production kicked off, like he went through, he courted a lot of very, very big names, uh, some who did end up contributing to it and some who ultimately didn't. So early on, um, before production started, because he was trying to get this going back in the early 80s and didn't properly kick off till like, the mid-80s, he approached George Lucas, uh, fresh off of original Star Wars, Mm-hmm. Chuck Jones. Apparently, those guys just weren't interested. And then the ones who almost did. Oh, another time we think. So, yes, Hayao Miyazaki, who, mm-hmm. s- speaking of our last episode, and another, this is unfortunate, Isao Takahata. Did you hear about this? I did not. Tell he, me. Died, uh, he died the other day, like yesterday or today. Oh, what? Do you know who Takahata was? He uh, Takahata was. He was, was he the, the co founder of Ghibli, of, um, and a lot of their great films that aren't directed by Miyazaki were his. Like, he just did uh, Princess Kaguya. And I think he was involved with a lot of the Miyazaki's own stuff as well. So it's a shame that... So here's the interesting thing. Uh, both those guys and another director I've heard of, uh, Osamu Dezaki, and another director I don't remember, you can actually find, for those first two that I mentioned, uh, they did a little short. And I don't know if this was animated by TMS or Ghibli or others. Uh, they did... I think the idea was to pitch it to investors and stuff to really get this thing going. Yeah, um, yeah. I recommend find these on YouTube and Daily Motion. Uh, very, very different art style. Like they're both very way, different. They're, they're a lot closer to the comic strip. Like um, this, I actually do. I actually like the art style of the final movie quite a bit in terms of the character design. Um, yeah. And, well, I guess we'll talk about more of that when we get to the visuals and the movie itself. But um, uh, so I don't know why Dezaki left, but. Uh, Miyazaki and Takahata split and apparently Miyazaki's gone on record as saying that he didn't get specifics but like dealing with people in production was like one of the worst experiences of his career <laughs> I don't know what happened I, I have no idea because I haven't heard anybody else involved in the movie talking shit about it he, but, said in, he said in this specific production yes because he's had a lot of I know, hardship I know I, well, I, I really would love I, it's been hard for me to verify this because, like, the, the original quote came from like an, a website on the archive.org. So it yeah. could be a total BS, but I would love if, you know, we just love Takahata. Mizaki, if you're listening, before you die, tell people what this, what your work with this was like before you decided to call it quits. But no, so the, so, uh, Fujioka did actually no the guy who directed this I didn't write his name but he generally came from he was an American and he did come from a primarily TV background he worked on a lot of Jay Ward stuff oh. um, and a lot of Saturday morning stuff this was the only I think theatrical movie he directed and then that was pretty much it for direct wise he died a few years later and in terms of, another interesting thing in terms of writing this was not generally written by uh, 
people at TMS, as far as I can tell. The two big names that stick out to me were Chris Columbus, who directed Home Alone, the first two Harry Potters. Like, he has a decent... He's done some crap, but he has he does have some good movies under his belt and experience. The one that stuck out to me, because it's one of my heroes, is Ray Bradbury was also involved in the screenplay. I saw. Yeah. Um, are you, you, are you uh, familiar with any of his work? I, I um, um, not... I've heard Ray Bradbury before. I've read a bunch of his short stories, and uh, I read Fahrenheit 451, which is getting a remake this year. Oh. Uh, he is phenomenal. Hmm. Uh, he actually did die a few years ago, but his work is like nothing I've ever seen. I totally recommend at least checking out short stories. Like, man, what a, what a mind that I, guy had. I also read that two of the nine old men were Yes, on I have a few film. more names. Uh, Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson, yep. uh, two of the most recognizable names because they would often work as a pair even after they left Disney. And they actually mentored Brad Bird. You can They have one-line cameos in Iron Giant Incredibles. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, both that is now. And actually, speaking of Brad Bird, there apparently was some amount of American production involved in the animation side because he worked for a few months on, on that, that part. Uh, oh wow! Not, not writing, producing, directing because he wasn't there yet. This is like pre-Simpsons and that. But he did. Yeah. And um, last name I'll, I'll throw out is uh, okay. No, a few more. Brian Frow was involved with the art direction. If you know him, he was he does a lot of fancy art and was the main guy behind the way uh, Jim Henson made a labyrinth and Dark Crystal look. So I have a lot of respect for him. Apparently, the choreographer for videos like Thriller helped with some of like the dance for this uh there's mm-hmm. a little full on dancing in this i couldn't tell but there there, there is a there's a, a large dance i don't want to say large but there's a pretty significant dance number in this film there is a and, song and there is a dance that is larger than life that i cannot see the, the music in real life reference for it but we'll talk about them um and the last one speaking of music to the people who wrote the songs for this and maybe help with some of the music itself were the sherman brothers who have a, had a huge live like uh Repertoire, like a lot of stuff with Disney. They wrote the songs for um, some of their animated stuff, like Story in the Stone. Uh, but they also, they were the songwriters for Mary Poppins. So, Supercalifragilistic. Uh, it's that's, that's, that's all of them. And there is there is one song this that very much gives me that vibe in terms of its beat that we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the last thing I'll say about the the, uh, the production crew is, uh, and this might tie into when we talk about the writing. Uh, so, Brad Bird was when he was. On that production team, apparently he tried asking uh, – he was a little – I guess he was a little unclear about what the story was. So he asked some of the animators like, so what's the, the flow of this plot? And they said, we're, we're basically – we're just – whatever Bradbury sends us, that's the stuff we're basing stuff off of. And eventually Brad Bird met Ray Bradbury and asked him like, where were you getting these ideas? And Bradbury told him, I'm going off of the stuff I see the animators doing. Okay. That explains a little bit. It does explain a little bit. Um, <laughs> that explains – a good significant portion of yes. this. Yes, <laughs> and so last thing I'll say, because we finished the production, um, you know how I like to say this so-and-so did this voice and this voice. There are a lot of, actually, there are a lot of these main character-wise people I didn't recognize. There You're are gonna... a lot of recognizable names, like apparently Nancy Cartwright did a bit part, June Foray, but it's like they must have like one or two lines. I couldn't place them. Uh, so the ones I'll get out of the way now, uh, do you know who played Nemo? Uh, who played Nemo? Littlefoot. Oh, cute. Subsid- I did not know that. Specifically the original one. I'm not talking any of the bad sequels. That is the same kid. Hey, Rabbit. The the same kid who played Nemo from Little Nemo in Slumberland? Littlefoot. From the original Land Before Time. She's She is going, oh. Okay, now I know right she's now. also a Land Before Time fan. Um, <laughs> her tummy hurts. So the two others, uh, probably, I guess, technically the biggest name to mass audiences. Mickey Rooney played uh, played Flip, who we'll, we'll talk about, talk more about. And Jiminy Jillikers, Jiminy Jillikers. Where should I do that production? <laughs> um, 
yeah, he's he was that was he was kind of that guy who would just pop up in all sorts of stuff in like his last uh, twenty years so twenty thirty years of work. No, nothing will get that out of my head when it comes to Mickey Rooney. Just hearing him do Fallout Boy from the Simpsons version of Radioactive yep. Man, yep. the movie. Yep, <laughs> Millhouse, do it for me, the mixer. No. <laughs> Um, and the last one I'll talk about, and this is more kind of more obscure one, uh, the character Professor Genius was voiced by, I only just now learned how to pronounce the name, Rene Albergenois. Um, I haven't seen much Star Trek, but if anybody here has watched Deep Space Nine, he is Ovo. Um, oh, cool. Who is like this shape-shifting character, I believe. I saw like two or three episodes of that show. Uh, but yeah. he has, he. I've actually looked him up, he does a lot of just random pop-up in both cartoons and things. So there's one thing I'll take out, that one character that I think most will recognize. He was the chef in that one part of Little Mermaid. Oh, okay. All right, that makes well. sense. The guy was terrorizing. I mean, yeah, remember the, yeah. the lyric, it's in our shop off of the heads. Yeah, um, that, that that places him a little bit better. I got to yeah. say, I, I got to say, man, like, well, I'll get, I'll get to the designs in a moment, but continue. Okay, well, I think we're about ready to dive into Now, I actually, I talked about this beforehand, and now this movie seems to have... Reception seems to be all over the place of how people feel about it from what I've seen online. Some people already hate it. Some people say it's like a forgotten masterpiece. Um, and some are like me, where I'm going to put my cards on the table. I think it is a fun watch, but the story is very and characters are very, very simple. I think it's a better movie to experience than to like digest. But Chris, are you so? Should we get started on just going scene by scene? Because I think you said you've taken some notes too. Um, just a few. Um, okay. Only, only as far as you know, like what works, what doesn't, like which scenes are my favorite. Yeah, um, yeah, that that kind of thing. And like I, that. I just had all sorts of observations. And do you want me just to talk us through piece by piece? Yeah, let's go through it. All right. Now, first off, the um, the opening credits. I feel like they could have done a little bit more with what you're looking at uh, yeah. because it is just like one static color backgrounds with the names written over them. And uh, it, well. Before I get into like certain things of uh, certain things that tick me off about this movie, yeah, um, I mean, I mean, obviously, it's a very fucking gorgeous film. It is a masterpiece, and uh, it, it is a visual masterpiece yes. in, in its own way. Yes, um, it is also uh, it is also a product of its time. Now, I hate that line because it can only get you so far <laughs> in an argument. But mm-hmm. for something like the opening credit sequence, this was around the time when that kind of thing was just leaving film like you get like as soon as films would open up you see like you still you still had the kind of like old movie the credits come first or at least the preliminary credits come first and you it's, have like the establishing wide things like that yeah it's it's um, still movies that do opening credits but they typically are showing something behind it like some panning sure, shots sure. maybe an action scene or something with less dialogue um, uh, that's I, th- I think that's a case by case basis um, yes Interesting thing, um, apparently when this movie first came out on VHS and theaters, 10 minutes were cut from it. Um, oh, yeah, I do remember. Uh, and do so remember apparently you, you didn't see the opening credits, just the closing ones, and this song played over the first scene. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, uh, I do remember watching this like a third time, like uh, not third time, but I do remember watching this when I was a little older. Like I, I ran into it again, and I was like, I don't remember this part being. In yeah, the yeah. Apparently, it was to achieve a G rating. Because um, I'll say right now, like, yeah, this feels like writing wise, it feels very much targeted towards younger audiences. It's, it's, yeah. It, there's, there's, there's a definite 
swing towards the the youngers um, the youngsters. And so. It's funny because of how much I read people online who remember seeing this as a kid and being terrified by parts of it. Uh, oh, possibly definitely. including this opening scene. <laughs> um, so the opening scene we're talking about like when Nemo actually goes on his dream, his very first it's dream, the first scene to dream. And I will just say real off, like just. We'll, we'll talk to the other shots. I will say this opening song, I wasn't big on our first start out, but he gets kind of jaunty midway through when I was having some fun with it. And I wrote down the lyrics where she, she starts go, the lyrics are going, kaleidoscopical stereoptical dreams come to you. It becomes like a show tune. It's pretty fun. Um, it's, it, it was a little much for me, but yeah. You know, so whatever. this, yes, this scene, it's, they're not going, it's, they don't really set up uh, Nemo himself ever, really. Uh, the one Here's the one thing I can... Here's the two things we can glean about Nemo uh, from this scene, maybe. He he does have a lot of wonder for the stuff he's seeing, and he does... He really is interested in uh, vehicles and mechanics, which mm-hmm. which is touched on a few times. And you notice in his room, he's got a bunch of mobiles yeah. of, of, like, old-school planes and stuff, because from what we see of the real world, this is set in the same time period the comic strip came out as, like, probably, like, the yeah. 20s or something. Mm-hmm. So he's just dreaming, and or no, he's just sleeping, but it's still in his dream. And there's a lot of it in his dream where he thinks he's in the real world, but it's yeah. in his dream world. And his bed just starts flying. The windows open, and it just starts floating on over the, into the night on its own. He gradually he wakes up when he hears an owl, and he's confused at first. But then he sees if he touches part of the banister, he can steer it. And this gets him really excited, so he just starts just flying through the night sky. The music gets very jaunty, and uh, Nemo's main phrases that you'll hear every society is a lot of "Yippee, whoa, this is how uh, this." Yeah, it yeah. gets old fast. I'm sorry, little, but I wish I, it's. I wish yeah, there was, was a lot less like that. That was hard to take after a while. I was oh, like, and we'll okay. get it. We'll we'll be coming back to it. But uh, one constant is the visuals are spectacular. Like oh. Have you like? I remember, I, I, like, I watched this recently, and mm-hmm. and when I when I watched it, I was like making. When I when I watched it, there's three versions of me watching this. There's the nine year old version of me yep. watching this. There's the uh, slightly older uh, animator. Um, well, I'm sorry. There's a slightly older, but still just a kid animator version of me who's like, I want to see if I can draw that one day. And like I know just starting I college. Will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's and you then, now. Then there's me now, who's more like. Okay, <laughs> this is what I'm getting now. Yeah, the, but... anim- the, the animator in me looks at like these fine details, like getting the get, um, getting like the detail in the bed when Nemo touches like the uh, touches like the mount um the 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 banister of it or whatever the hell yeah. that that thing is like the line detail on that. That's yeah. painstaking. Like that here's is, I went and looked at um, some other stuff that apparently TMS was involved in in America that I hadn't heard of. They did this 180 show called Galaxy High. Um, mm-hmm. But it got canceled really quick. And yeah, looking at that, I think I realized like what really sticks out to me about their American like the, their best work is that because we're we're talking back in the 80s. This was when they still had to do it all on paint physically. You can you didn't really have computer assistance, and it's very customary for anime and other cartoons time like you get those kind of rubber strokes and such mm-hmm. this looks clean as hell line wise yes like yes it, it must have been so meticulous by guys who knew what they were doing and because mm-hmm. that is actually a pet peeve of mine with the older animation i like the cleaner stuff that we get in like digital 2d such uh not so much of an issue here no no and I, the fact that they're keeping this bed like keeping it on model when it's swinging and turning all over the place 
it still looks like a solid, believable piece of work. Yeah, yeah. We'll bring up all of more praises about individual animation moments as well. And so it's it it's so we're talking about like stuff that scares kids. This starts very whimsical, and then it gets like um before it gets scary, it gets like otherworldly, where like he comes to this ruined city. Yeah. Uh, apropos of nothing, which I'll be saying quite a bit. But it's lovely looking, and, and it's kind of eerie but beautiful. And he's even commenting, like, I wonder what this deal you know, with this building is. And then there's this clock tower. There's something that's to midnight, and bam, the power goes out of his bed, and he starts falling like a rock yeah. uh, down this building. And a lot of cool shots of, like, a lot of full-frame animation of the skyscrapers swooping by him. And then this homicidal train appears. This, G- this giant train that comes out of nowhere off the side of a building underwater <laughs> and it seems dead set on running him down uh yes. he's like he it's 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 bumpy up against the bed i think eventually it, it like shatters and he flies through the air and thankfully he sees his house in front of him uh so he runs up a duck and the train decides to reenact the trailer's role and then breaks godzilla and yeah. like, tear up each plank right behind him and it's actually kind of weird. He opens up his, and you see the back of his mom just doing like an egg beater thing very silently. Oh, that is some straight up Nightmare on Elm Street and he, shit. Right yeah, and he closed the door screaming, Mom, the train! As if, I mean, it's a dream. Maybe his mom the door could have helped. But yeah. so the train smashes to the door. He flies there again. And then thankfully he he wakes up on the floor like he fell on yeah. bed. Seeing that as a kid, like, it wrecked my shit a little bit. Yeah. But... There's a part of me that was like, I'm so down for this yeah. movie. <laughs> you know, this, is, this is the main part that I can justifiably say this might be a little scary for young kids. Because there's some other things people have issues with in the middle and the end. I think that's a bit more tolerable for kids. But this is an intense note to start on. And it's even stranger that it doesn't really, it doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the story. I mean, it kind of... Uh, as far as like the story, like the plot is concerned, it's 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 kind of like... It's kind of left field, but it gets you. It gets you invested in the fact that Nemo is in a dream that is lifelike, that is fa- that is fantastical, yes. and it's fucking dangerous. Yes, because so established, I, like probably like ninety five percent of the movie is his dream. But I guess it's yeah. definitely to establish that he has a vivid imagination, and it actually we, it does come back to the flying bed for the climax. So there's that. Yeah, yeah, it does. But I think uh, honestly, like even though the even though the dream sequence doesn't have much to say about the story. It's fun to watch. Uh, in and of itself. Like, it, it's it's very fun to watch. And I think, honestly, think it's kind of smart to, to play it that way. Even if it doesn't have, like, say, like, King Morpheus or the Nightmare King showing up or anything like that. Nemo I is think, literally the only character in it. Yeah. And that is smart. But I also think it's to the detriment of the film. And I'll get to that a little yeah. later. And I will say, yes, I complained about him, like, yippee at the moment. But when he's, like, screaming in terror, like, oh, my God, yeah, that's... I, would, I felt that. I I'd felt be right that. I was like, yeah. That Imagine them like in the room with Littlefoot, scream your heart out. Imagine you're watching your mom getting murdered again. <laughs> poor, poor Littlefoot just can't catch a break. I swear to God. It hurts. Um, so, and, so I know it's funny that I've heard people say, like, they can't really feel invested in the story because it's a dream. And that's not the case for me. It's more that's just simple. I actually felt that way because we get so little of the real world. Like, it, when Nemo's parents appear, it's like, it's like the parents in Coco. I'm like, whatever. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I'm talking about specifically the parents. The grandparents are the focus of the living relatives in Coco. Yeah. I, I, the, I, Honestly, I, I feel invested in a film no matter how many times I watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also think that it's a little – there are certain things that are problematic in this film. And the fact that there are – the fact that there's a good bunch of people who are like – who have different um, – who, who have different mileage as far as what that is, I, we need to go into it a little bit more. But well, let's keep going. That's so, Yeah, that's that, that's the famous Neil Gaiman theory of if yeah. someone can't now, put it main, out, then 
something's wrong. Yeah, and the main thing is that these scenes do establish is that you kind of realize that this is kind of a Wizard of Oz situation, both setting up characters and conflicts that will be expanded on his dream. Because he sees this a circus parade in town, and you realize after you've seen him for the first time, every character gets like a focus shot in this parade has an analog design-wise in the yes. Um And, uh, oh no, the, the, the crazy thing before this is we meet Icarus, which yeah. uh, kind of breaks the reality. <laughs> literally everything else in this world, in this real world, is you know plausible in our world. And Nemo happens to have, I, I guess, I don't know if it's a pet or a friend because he lives in a tree next to him. But it is a flying squirrel with Rocky goggles that talks like kind of a cross between Gollum and Abu. Like a lot of it is, but then you can recognize Nemo. Oh no! See, see, here's <laughs> as a kid, I thought. I thought Icarus was, like, the greatest fucking sure. thing in the world. But you're not a kid anymore. I'm not a kid anymore. So yeah. when I when I see Icarus and I hear him talk and I see just how much of an influence he has on this film, which is not very much. No. <laughs> um, he does not need to be I, here. I, I kind of went back and I watched him. And uh, I kind of went back and I, I read through um, – I read about the comic. I, I read about the comic. I he was not the from the comic. comic. He was not from the comic. This is 100. I'm sure this was Disney does sidekick. Let's do a sidekick. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a, that's that, that's essentially it. And you know what? Some scenes he's in is hella cute. He's most scenes, well. yeah, most scenes he's in, not so much. Uh, but we can continue though. Also, yeah, the voice for me too, like just a very annoying blah, 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 voice. Uh, <sighs> yeah. Very rabbitish. <laughs> now that I think about it. Uh, yeah. But no, okay. So uh, he goes to the parade and. I don't know what told what motivated the ringmaster to be like. I'm going to ask this random kid to get on my horse and ride, but it was nice of him. And actually, there were a couple times I did laugh out loud. And the first one came from the ringmaster uh, is doing his, you know, boys and girls greatest shows. He doesn't literally say greatest show on earth because uh, P.T. Barnum's estate would sue their ass. But he he holds up his ringmaster hat and Nemo cheers him and he starts th- like flailing Touch. Icarus around <laughs> like a like a noisemaker and swinging him around <laughs> and Icarus is not happy because the next shot he's lying there exhausted he looks like he's like fucking hung over like oh yeah. god that like took a lot of me so Icarus does provide some laughs uh, involuntarily um, so and the main thing so the main thing we get here before we get to the dream thing is he wants his dad to take him to the circus his dad's like maybe next day which is more inconsequential than you would think but the other thing is so we get this scene where he sleepwalks mm-hmm. and I guess the idea is we're supposed to assume he kind of has a history of sneaking snacks from his pantry or whatever. And so he's involuntarily just going out there to steal a pie. His mom wakes him up. He's like, oh, shit. And he got, goes out there. And there is a part that spells out later. This is kind of – oh, because there was that piece of paper saying remember your promise. Like I guess he had told him, yeah, I won't take food anymore. Uh, and the dream con- – the main dream conflict stems from a much crazier version of that. Yeah. Uh, that The scene where um – where Nemo sleepwalks, uh, that was one of the scenes that I missed when I watched it as a kid. Like either it wasn't shown, or I just I don't know. I feel I like I read that out. was cut out, and that <laughs> feels you probably shouldn't have cut that because I think he still mentions it at the end. He, uh, I, I, I don't remember where he mentions it at the end, but it's literally I, it, it's we'll it. it's it's seriously like one of those things that threw me for a loop when I finally saw it because. A, when you sleepwalk, you kind of don't know where you are. But Nemo sleepwalks. He knows where the pie is, opens his eye to look it's, at the letter. It's a little confusing because there are parts that make it seem like he's awake and faking. But I do assume that he was genuine until his mom started to step. Because he's all woozy, like, wait, wait, where am I? What have I been doing? What? And that's one of the weird things I, I noticed about this film. Uh, when I read about what Windsor McKay actually 
pushed into the Little Nemo comic is that he actually knew a little bit about like dream logic, and uh, one of the yeah. uh, one one of the things that he was definitely afraid of that he put in the comic was like fear of falling, fear of drowning, and and all that sh- and all that stuff. Wow. But he did a little bit of homework, <laughs> and I kind of feel like that uh, that. Um, the the creative team here did not do a little bit of homework yeah. in regards They're, to sleepwalking. I mainly know stream logic in terms of transitioning between moments, and we will get to them. So yeah. he goes to bed after this for proper, and um, this is where you know the main plot kicks in. It mm-hmm. you know his his window he didn't he lets Icarus sleep in his bed. I don't know if his parents are okay with that, uh, uh-huh. but his window like it starts glowing outside and busts open like he's going to get close encounter, but instead like these officials are like hopping in like. Hup, hup. Yeah, these these uh, weird clown men. Most of the inhabitants of of Dreamland are clowns, basically. Yeah, I also I did notice in one crowd shot there was a random cowboy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird. It's a dream. Uh, Yeah, it is a dream, and that excuse can only go but so far. Yeah, I I can't apply to everything, but I can apply it to these weird denizens. But uh, the weird thing is, is that well, I'm not going so weird, but. This film is super well designed. So when yeah. it comes to like the festive, the crazy, the uh, the amazing childlike wonder of uh, of Slumberland, like that shit was down packed as far as like Windsor McKay's comic is concerned. Like there's like some fantastic shit that goes on there. They had a lot to draw from. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm super okay with the clowns, honestly. Like like that's that's not what kind of. Yeah, That's they, are, not they aren't scary-looking clowns, at least. No, 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 no. They're super friendly. They're pretty and, goofy you know what? And, yeah. and I'll go one step further. When I was a kid, there was a certain clown named Bon Bon who, I had, a, who had a big crush on Bon Bon. <laughs> I am not going to lie. I was like, is it a girl? Is it a boy? It is. I think. It's voiced by a girl. I actually, when I heard her, I thought she was, she, that, was that was Nancy Cartwright. Um, uh-huh. It sounded like a high-pitched part. It wasn't. It was, uh, actually, I'll say right now, it's an actress named Sherry Lynn who did voices in Tenchi Muyo. Cute. There are a couple oh, anime actors. She did, did, did Tenshi Muyo? Oh my she, god. She was Sasami and Kioni. Oh, and actually, another deep cut, uh, Nemo's mom is Ayaka. Oh, that's cute. That's I had no cute. idea if you oh, had knowledge of Tenshi Muyo, which I wasn't going to bring up until. I did, like, I yes. did not know that, and thank you for bringing it up. Yeah. So, apparently, Nancy Carter was another one of those. Because there, there are a bunch of, like, basically Bon Bon clones on the side, like, especially mm-hmm. when they're waiting for Nemo to meet the princess. I think yeah. she was one of them. It was a very small yeah. role. So, I, they. So there's there's Bon Bon, there are these chubbier clowns, and there is Professor Genius, who is basically the stuffy right hand man of the king. So um, it, yeah, Professor yeah, Genius is he's a, he's someone. You <laughs> he's, me- yeah, you mentioned too. He is one of the more forgettable characters for sure. The, I love his design. Like, yeah, and I'm I'm gonna gush about this movie's design like all day. These characters, is- both the designs are are good on their own, but they're just they just because I'm talking about these are great animators. They are constantly very very expressive and not in an over the top way. It's it's a believable like man. Like I love how how Professor Genius looks with his top hat and yeah. like his 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 long lanky slender body. He's and like just the way he walks and the way he, like how gentlemanly he is. Yeah, it's, it's funny because so many of the people of Dreamland are so fun and fanciful in their nature, and he is the one who's stuffy, playing by the rules. Like at one point, he pulls out a stopwatch. Like he might as well say, "You're late, you're late," because he's the White Rabbit. He might as well. There is a specific scene in this movie where. Uh, and it comes much later, but I'm going to go ahead and say it now. Sure. 
where the Nemo gets his weapon and he scares off these monsters with his weapon. And Professor Genius is like, aha, they're afraid of the weapon. And he gets up and he puts on his top hat and he's like, we having a moment to lose. And that shit makes me so goddamn excited. I don't know why. <laughs> his one it's, moment to shine. because I one just, moment and it makes me so happy seeing yeah. him so determined. Yeah, and, and that I, the actor I mentioned, Rene Aubergenois, he does, he does a good job with what he does. He actually... I, I ended up skipping Awesome Con this year, and I found he was at it. And oh, wow. I would have loved to ask him about this movie because it makes me insane because I watched this documentary I've been bringing up. Apparently, he's not only a fan of the strip growing up, but he is he had, he's actually really happy with the movie itself. He thought it was a really cool Aww. thing to be involved with. That's cool. Um, so I'd love to ask him like the process of, of reading for that and creating funny stories about it. But that's oh, well. really cool. Yeah, I would yeah, love to. And actually, even though I like I've said like I don't care much of this character, his, I, his introduction gave me another laugh where the clowns are really excited and he's like, hey, 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 show show some dignity. And then he immediately walks into the mobiles. <laughs> like, totally ruins his own moment. <laughs> I love that. I wish there was more of that because the rest of it is him like being run over by stuff. Like, not yeah. not even his fault. So basically, he, the reason they're there is like, okay, so Nemo, you, uh, King Morpheus, has selected you to to take uh, to exit the Matrix, and uh, that's what that's what Slumberland is. It's the real world. No, no, no. Basically. But um, he's, no, it's basically that. <laughs> it's well, it's Nemo's fantasy world. But basically, yeah. he has uh, for whatever reason, he has decided you've been appointed as my daughter's playmate, and you're also going to be groomed to be my heir to the throne which is accurate to the comic book at least yes at least as far as the playmate part yes if we're talking the characters the king princess were characters i think professor genius was an amalgamation of some of the characters and nemo and flipper characters yeah um and there might be some background ones who are from the comic as well i'm not like i said i don't know that much about it so nemo's response to this is both funny and like this is how you step nemo where he's first thing he says is wait his princess is a girl. His princess is a girl. I'm like, you idiot. Yeah, even Bon Bon, your your crush. She, she goes. I mean, she's a princess. It comes to the territory. Nemo's like, I don't care. She's still a girl. I'm not interested. But apparently, thankfully, they know the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Because they're like, mm-hmm. well, see, the princess cook, made these cookies for you. And Nemo's response: Oh, well, I love cookies. Now I love girls. Let's go. I love girls. I'm like, wow, that is the shittiest little boy I've Nemo, ever seen. You, he hasn't come off as shallow in the rest of the movie either. This is a weird way to attract him to this yeah um, it's <laughs> i'm not going she's a girl i'm like don't you want to have fun you pots what's like there's on? more to that than being with a girl i mean because well okay you know what they they get also get interested by seeing their now they're blimp they're dirigible which he says multiple times you have a real dirigible I, I i'm sure there are a lot of kids who learn that word because of this movie yeah definitely and so uh they let him on. they so he and he and uh, Icarus comes along too. I think he's because I'm pretty sure like Icarus is like his right. It's his abu. He's always like, "Come on, Icarus, you're coming with me." Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So they get on, and a little bit of foreshadowing because they let him take the wheel for a second. I also like like he gets way too excited. You see guys with like glasses of orange juice just flopping around the back. You're like, "Gosh, shit!" So there's a little foreshadowing, but it's also I guess somebody pointed out there. It's kind of time that he chose this because I a few weeks ago a podcast I like Cartoon Lampoon did an episode on it, and one of them pointed out so there's a your first tease of this idea of Nightmare Land. You know the main villain villainous fortune which makes sense it's a dream so you see these glowing red eyes for a second uh which we later establish belongs to the villain which we later establish is imprisoned at this mm-hmm. point uh mm-hmm. so how does he get how's he out there Who yeah knows? i don't think dream logic applies to this uh well, i think I th- well, well i mean I, I i'm guessing and i'm guessing if we're going to use dream logic that perhaps that's not really him Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just some rogue nightmare. Yeah, it because would have been smart of them to show when we finally see the Nightmare Army, other guys with those eyes. Yeah, that's the only that way this makes that, sense. That would have been a little bit more consistent, but, but you know what? It, either way, it there, does establish, like, yeah, there's some sinisterness to this world, and we'll be, you know, yeah. that's our Chekhov's gun. We'll be more of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So where's the next? So he he's taken in. And we get this, you know, big parade of like clowns and balloons and and Bef- people like flipping out, like welcome Nemo. Um, before that, before that, before sure. we get to that, I want to I, I want to hone in on the fact that the captain of this dirigible is like, well, hello there, Nemo. Would you like to fly this giant ship holding 400 people? Wow, we, yes, sir. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Nemo, Nemo legitimately says jeepers when he first sees. He's like, jeepers, I sure want to kill all these people. I'm That's like, what I'm talking about. God. We're lucky that the most that happened is some guys spilled their glasses. I think Icarus also gets like a steam blast in the face. <laughs> uh, like, oh he should be dead. God. And no one, no one says anything. Like, there's no self... There's no self-awareness here. The captain just... does take the wheel back when he sees the nightmare. It's like, that's <laughs> what it takes to me and go, okay, hang on. Um, so, yeah, we get, <laughs> to nightmare- on, there's... <laughs> we get to Nightmare Land, and so they do a big dramatic, all right, let's meet King Morpheus, and, oh, throne's empty. And uh, Professor responds, it's not again. So, uh... and when we meet the kid, you understand why. Um, mm-hmm. But this is actually where, okay, it's not technically the first time we see him, because he pops up for a second when... Uh, on his on his bird and and professor makes her stay away from that guy we meet my favorite character flip so you was invited and now he stood you huh <laughs> what luck you have kid you're flip you're a frightful fellow you got it i'm frightfully funny frightfully friendly and i can make your dreams come true flip is a douchebag but flip is a giant douchebag but he's also my favorite because i talk about how like you know four kids very wholesome this is flip just seems so over everything about the nature of dreamland like he's constantly saying to Nemo, like oh they're making you do this huh well like, yeah, i guess i actually have actually you know fun flip is a genuine piece of shit who kind of plays by his own rules yes and yeah there are some real problems with him and i kind of like the fact that he's um i kind of i do like the fact that he's in his own bubble when it comes to and at least the fact land. that everybody else acknowledges he's a huge piece of shit yeah. It's not like they're going, oh, yeah. you rascal. It's like, no, uh, this dude's uh, a fugitive. Oh, uh, yeah. Honestly, I mean, design-wise, yeah, there's there's a bit of a problem with the green-faced clown, uh, clown yes, thing going on. Um, but, uh, he does but, come off to me as a white guy, but they probably could have made his, his makeup a lighter tone. The, besides that, like, I'm actually okay with Flip, but I'm not okay with how the movie kind of just lets him be him. And him and another character are actually kind of the prime, kind of the prime examples of what I have an issue uh, of, of the issues I have with this. Movie. Okay, before we get, before we let's get just say right now who's the other character you're talking about? The other character is Princess Camille. Okay, we're right, we're we're, we're almost there. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, I like how I like how both times that like Nemo's in the middle of something and Flip is like literally just lying on on a ledge, looking chill as fuck, and mm-hmm. just being like, "Oh, I did that to you." Uh, thankfully, he, when he's trying to, he's almost like a. A Rolex salesman because he's going like you want to buy a map, but oh, he, he is a total he is a total used car salesman. Total con man, yes, that's yeah. Um, especially when you realize he knows like the insides of the underground of of Slumberland, like yeah. uh, shady dude. But thankfully, he does an early fuck up that I don't think the movie would have a happy end if he hadn't. Where he's like, hey, look, I got a map too, and he goes Nightmare Land, and Mickey Rooney's this great. <gasps> there are a bunch of like Mickey Rooney. I'm convinced almost having a heart attack. There are, doing his there are. For this. Yeah, and Flip is really well animated with some of his expressions too. He, he's probably one of the best animated characters. He's really fun. Yeah, he's really fun to watch. As shitty as yeah. he is, a lot of his scenes are the most entertaining for me. Um, yeah. I also will note he, at least in the first half, flies around this giant crow. And I am concerned for this crow because every time he talks, it sounds like it's on the verge of death. Yes, it does. I'm like, uh, this, it, this bird is dying. I and- feel very bad for it. Um, he bends <laughs> it later on, too. But every scene, it's, it's like, all right, come on. He's like, okay, let's go. <laughs> Uh, yeah. It's not. It does not sound like a crow. It sounds like a man in an iron lung that is malfunctioning. But yeah, so he 
he shows this is where we start getting like I'm talking about the transitional stuff with Dream Logic. Like I get I think he's actually saying I know how to help you find the king. So they he like opens like a secret staircase. They go into this huge room that is upside down. Like yeah. all the furniture's on the ceiling. They have to carefully step around like the rims of the door. It's it's dangerous, but it's pretty cool. And Nemo falls, but not to his death, but down this crazy ass uh, staircase. Yeah, and it's shit like that. It's animated shit like that that makes looking at it 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 makes you forget you're watching drawings. You're it watching makes, one drawing. Yeah, so at many time. of these, there are a lot of specific shots where they're like the full environment is moving and it looks incredible. Yeah, like, there's there's a lot incredible. there's a lot of really good inspired shots that come that take from the comic and actually make this stairwell is from the comic. Yeah, I've actually well, remember well, seeing that. Um, and and it that. makes fantastic and it makes fantastic use of the medium of animation. Yes, this and, movie is a it's a it's a great example of it. It's, yeah. I feel like, if nothing else, watch it for wonderful, Still wonderful there? visuals and creativity. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, it's all right. Don't worry about it. But um, oh. so, th- and I will also say, comparing it to another movie with a crazy production, have you ever seen Thief and the Cobbler? I have. I did see Thief and the Cobbler. Yeah. So there's another. There's a brief stairwell case in that that is like almost a one for one with how it moves, the yeah. swirling and like jutting up and down. And I, I'm betting Richard Williams was heavily inspired by Windsor McKay. Oh, definitely. I would not think of any other way. That's another that's movie sure. with a thin plot, but some of the best animation you'll ever see in your life. Um, maybe mm-hmm. I'll pick that someday. So he, thankfully, the, this stairwell he falls, he slides through a hall and lands in this big toy room, and this is where we finally meet King Morpheus, whose design I would say is Santa Claus if you dressed him as Zeus. Yeah, uh, he's in a conductor up in this, but you realize the king is. He loves his toys and his vehicles. And this is another thing I love about, because, yeah, Nemo just not have that much to him. But I love the fact that he, his, his introduction to him is showing his love of mechanics, too, where the king's like, I don't get what's going on with this. Nemo just immediately goes, have you looked at the piston gasket? He's like, piston oh. gasket. But, yeah, and they start doing a, a thing. And then he gets <laughs> to Icarus, piston gasket, piston gasket. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, then I remember Icarus is there and go, oh, great. But uh, <laughs> he fixes it, and they go on another really cool animation thing, which is like a joyride on this thing all over these rooms, uh, ending with Professor, the death of Professor Genius in the real world. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what you get for being the, the trying to play by the rules in Slumberland, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And so that happens. He's, and, he's still alive. Nothing happens, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoilers. Only one character dies in this, and it's not uh, any of the good guys. Shocker. Mm-hmm. So this is when they, we, you know, we get, okay, so this is when the big uh, MacGuffin first happens where he's like, okay, so part, so yeah, we're going to start going you through the training to be the king, the the heir. Uh, I'll just use the princess. We'll get your train. But first, here's this really, really important key, which looks really badass. It's like dragon shaped. Yeah. Um, but memo to King Morpheus, because he says, look, it is super important you don't open this door for the good of everybody. And he was like, I promise. Uh Memo, say why. Say what is behind that door because that is exactly what Flip uses to his advantage later on to fuck everything up. Mm-hmm. Now, on one hand, as a kid, you kind of kind of just leave it alone. On another hand, you kind of want to be like, well, that's a dream. So logic uh, doesn't I, I go mean, too I'll far. Bet kid, I'll bet it could make him more interested to learn more about the door because I'm sure even they know, like, okay, we're going to revisit this thing. wonder what's what yeah, the big deal is. This is one of those things where I'm like, yeah, uh, you might want to follow up and – say what's behind that door i won't want to know if there are there's like a hundred murderers behind that door and you're just like don't open it because i want to open that that could be murderers or it could be cookies i want to know what's behind we, that we'll door. talk more about that don't worry so uh so the next scene uh, i have a lot of things just to say about this one scene from so it's like okay time to introduce the princess he's brought up in this elevator run by a caterpillar like it's like running crank going here we're here um yep. just a quirky little touch 
Uh, one thing I do like, and I've actually seen it in some other movies, including we talked about, is the vest was briefly like, okay, your hair's a mess. Let's try and get that right. And he gets it all slick, and it immediately pops back, and Nemo's like, yeah, sorry, that's not happening. I, I can sympathize with that because Nemo basically has my hair now that I think about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've also saw that's the beginning of Paranorman too because you remember Norman's hair sticks up and he tries to come down and then yeah. Um, and same thing the beginning of I don't know if you ever saw Tintin. Uh, that's one of the first scenes. I did Tintin, see Tintin. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love to talk about that someday because Tintin has that quiff in the first scene. He walks by a mirror and tries to come it down. Nope. It's like don't mess with the trademark hair. So uh, he walks in. So two notes about before we get to, even to get to the princess's character. Um, <laughs> so. She's been introduced as she is playing a harp and singing some song about Slumberland, um, which apparently they, in this documentary, they use reference of a harp player to get the hand movements right. Like, to actually get, make sure she was playing the right strings. Smart. But not so smart is this is clearly like a 30-year-old woman doing this singing. And then it's like, hey, Brenta, she's here. And twist to like a 10-year-old girl. Oh, hello. As a, kid, I, as a kid, I did not notice that. I guess a kid I, as, wouldn't. As, as a 33-year-old man who's kind of... Who was kind of fed up seeing the giant flower over uh, over above her head as she's playing this harp? I was like, "Ugh, shoot me, shoot well, me!" This here's movie. the other thing about her, her her actual voice. This kid is she starts out super British. Um, her first line is something like, "Ah, oh, yes, you may go, Professor," and she just drops that shit. May I present little Nemo? Oh yes, indeed you may, Professor. It's just that no one has ever accepted a royal invitation in his underwear. Ah, um, uh, cute. I think Serena noted that when we when we watched but the, it's, when we watched it together. Again, going back to Lapita, it comes back every like half hour or so because in the like the, the last three forty minutes, she goes to flip. Were you smoking a cigar? <sighs> um, like I don't know what happened if the directors told this kid not to do it but they left some in uh, but I was just every time it happened I just wanted her to go hello governor and then Rick from regular show has nightmares that's terrible but uh, so, yeah so so because I know you talk about this character like I like her intro scene because as it starts out the playmate is the playmate is no I just want to fuck with you at first because yeah, she makes this... Nemo totally think like oh I look down on you you're in your underwear you brought a rat um, and he's angry about it and then she admits no I'm, I, I, that, that's not actually how I feel but that oh, was funny she, she totally plays a Sundere in this uh, specific scene like I kind of don't like the look at you uh, you're you look like a piece of shit yeah uh, how and dare you bring how dare you bring you and your rat into my lovely abode? That's how she's playing. Yeah. How dare you bring your your stank ass self in my lovely abode <laughs> where cherubs, where clowns yeah. are fucking gossiping and, like cherubs. And Nemo's probably <laughs> pissed. He's like, okay, first off, these are pajamas, not underwear. And second, you just came to me in the night and said, let's go. Like, what would you expect? <laughs> yeah. And, and that's when and she... She is super rude, and he's like, uh, he is like, don't apologize to me, apologize to my rat. And, and now, he, now Icarus is pissed off at both of them. <laughs> and we decided to spend a minute, like, Icarus climbs up the fountain and was like, Icarus, I'm sorry, which I, I feel I, like they could have got the scene off before that. Uh, honestly, I think that entire scene is entertaining. Like, it's, yeah, actually. It's, it sets them both up very well. And you know what? Afterwards, they have a fucking ball. Like, they go out on, they go yeah. out on the well, town. No, actually, before with... we get to that, because I, I know you mentioned the princess was another character you had a problem with. And I want to know why, because I had one as well. Um. Okay. So, the pr- all right. So, we're not at that scene yet. But we're, we're basically getting there. But, but my main beef with Princess Camille and Flip is that they're not utilized with good story sense. And I know that sounds super basic and super vague. But no, because that kind of ties into... 
I kind of disagree with Flip because they do some fun stuff with it, but it's like, I would have loved more of that, like, playful ribbing with her and Nemo throughout, but she's like, she becomes just kind of totally straight-faced the rest of the movie and Oh, doesn't... totally. Like, she is, she, um, uh, other than this scene, she is totally unused. Like, there's uh, a she scene She does like... deck flip pretty well later on. Well, a... yeah, and that was neat. <laughs> Don't but that's get me not wrong. enough that's for the a... whole movie. No, 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 no. That was a neat moment. And yeah. anyone could have decked flip. And it's nice that someone decked flip and it's nice that she decked flip. Yeah. But anyone could have decked flip. Yeah. And I... the problem and the problem with this film is that it kind of just leaves two uh, it kind of leaves two of the most appealing characters doing nothing for most of the film. I mean, sure, Flip has something to do, but still has comedy. So- yeah, he has comedy, but then someone steals it, and we're gonna get that. We're gonna get to who steals his purpose a little bit later on. Okay, um, but um, so yeah, so you, but you're talking about there's this. So there, there's another. Uh, I guess the first full musical number, even though no, there's nobody on screen singing it, but it's just a montage of this, all the kind of zany fun stuff you do in Slumberland. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Oh, I will say the start of this number gave me my biggest laugh, and in, in the movie, I don't know if it's intentional because it is smash cut to them in a chariot, uh, Neiman the prince in the back. And the front is Icarus and just some realistic frog randomly going. Ah. You know what? You know what? You know what? <laughs> that of all my problems with this movie, that that shot melts my fucking heart. I love it. <laughs> I don't know what that frog's purpose is. He doesn't come back, but it is fucking funny. It's just that scene of Icarus and the I, frog screaming. Because uh, Vickers is, is like happy. The frog is stoned face. Uh, uh. <laughs> I should just put the audio in randomly in this episode. Uh, uh, please do. I um, actually do think I saw an image that the frog is some. Thing from the comic, I think it's just a minor Easter egg. Uh, yeah, uh, it's still I super mean, funny on so. I mean, Gertie shows up, so that's an Easter egg too. Yeah, yeah, um, Gertie but, is there. Um, um, but so the crazy thing, yeah, some crazy stuff happened to this, where like they go in these balls that bounce through the sky. Uh, my main thought being, I hope another heads collide while in these balls. Uh, but it's a fantasy, so you're probably fine. Um, <laughs> phrasing. All right. <laughs> okay. No. No. Uh, I'm phrasing. So at the end, it starts raining, and they. One cool thing is they put on, like, um, these butterfly wings that guide them over here. Then there's this crazy shot where it's, like, their clothes hanging on the ground. And no, no, no child nudity in this. This isn't the Christmas tree. But, like, they're wearing, like, cotton over their bodies. It's weird. But you know what? It's also really fucking fitting. It's like, the Slumberland this, equivalent of towels. Sure. Yeah. And you know what? Like, this entire scene of them just having fun in Slumberland is so fucking innocent and cute and yeah. fun and i Genuinely love it whimsical. There, um, it's it's times um it seems like this that build me up to think that these characters are having a good time right. and they're bonding and so, so they'll have they'll actually have like real shit happen to them and have like actual conversations later yeah. and the movie doesn't do that I- <laughs> I will say um, I thought about reading this, but okay. Now, first off, I said this episode too. I look if you have not seen this movie, you literally have no excuse right now because it is TMS has put it up legit for free on YouTube in HD. Uh, no rental, no thing. I so we're going to we're going to spoil the shit out of it. So I'm sorry. I mean, it's That's- not just that. I'm just saying you should go give this a look. Like if you don't like it, it'll go on fine. Turn it off. But like. This isn't a case of oh I don't have Netflix so I can't watch it oh I don't have four bucks to spend on Net- on YouTube or Google Play no it's 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 just there go watch it if you don't like it turn it off if you like it watch the whole thing um, but I, one of the the top comment on that page is regarding the the clothes stuff 
And it is one of the creepiest sounding YouTube comments I've ever read. Okay. And what I will leave it out to not taint this episode. If you're curious, oh. go read it for yourself. Oh, oh no. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, so let's take a look, see why you're still talking then. Oh, well, I'm going to keep talking and then I'll hear your reaction. It'll be Voltron yep. 3D all over again. Uh, okay. So. One okay, one weird thing pacing wise is that like right after this scene, we get a brief moment of like even them just talking about admiring the view, like, yeah, this is a fun place. Then he goes to the backpack house and we immediately start another song. Yeah. Uh, the etiquette song, uh, which you can definitely remember that's the song because they main lyric is you've got to get some etiquette something a billion times, which I was not sure if I was gonna like this song at first, but it gets crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's it does a, get Crazy. It, it's it's they decided we're gonna teach him all the proper manners in like one session, and so he's just jumping when people people were like a bunch of guys who are like, all right, start this soup, uh, and then every time he does something wrong, they like they they clear their throat. So he's like, all right, elbows off the table, no slurping, and then some other woman grabs him, this chubby lady with huge tits who's teaching the dance, and he's like getting caught in her cleavage. Um, uh, that was that was fun as a kid. Even as an adult, I'm like that. I'm not sure if this ages well, but I'm sure it's still funny. I do like the fact that every time he's thrown away from her, you hear him gasping for air. (laughs) (laughs) The Um, the gasping is funny. (laughs) And, like, there's some fencing guy, there's some librarian, and the best part is at the end, like, they all just come on screen at once, and they're, like, so overwhelming him. There's a point where, like, one of the guys comes up with tea, and they end up giving it to, like, the horse rider. He's like, oh, yes, thank you. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just a lot of – and then, like, the whole set collapses, and none of them seem to react. No, they um, don't. And it's not a yeah. case of cheaping on the animation. I'm sure that was just for it's. It's sake. not. It's like like even though. All right. So this this entire musical segment is done to death. You've seen it before many times over. Even in the 1980s with music with animated musicals, you've seen this scene before, where you have a character that's a fish out of water, and you have the uptight, um, yeah, um, the educated. They all come uh, up. It's very snooty. Who, who must teach this young chap how to be a gentleman? You've seen this shit before like a hundred times. So there's I think nothing... it's the plot to uh, Persist Diaries. Yeah, it's it's not too original. No. But at the same time, it's also super fucking fun. Like, I can't trust Yes, like how... I say, when yeah. it first starts and they're just showing these people seeing them, like, oh, whatever. But like, they just keep start showing. Like, the fact that like Nemo's kind of transitioning from each one doing the last thing. So he's still going, Barry, Thrust, Barry. And then this librarian dumps like a bunch of books on him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the better pure comedy parts, I'd say. But so after this ends, we get the return of Flip. And again, just sitting on a ledge, being like, yeah, you're not enjoying that, are you? And for once, Nemo greets with him. And Nemo, I mean, no, Flip decides, all right, let me show you how to have fun. Uh, And his idea is being a criminal. Yeah, being a legit criminal is fun. Yeah, okay. Uh, tricking the police into beating <laughs> each other up, setting off a bunch of fireworks, and I assume injuring some people. Uh, mm-hmm. Going messing, through. Making Gertie sneeze so she drops a tent on people. Yeah, uh, going through. And uh, this is this is when, okay, so there were a number of cracks that have started to show by this point in the film. And not they were all pretty forgivable, uh, and we've noted them by this point. But the one glaring one, what I felt that they were kind of stretching, or they are kind of reaching a bit for what they needed, uh, for what the scene needed to be, was the Scooby-Doo alleyway chase. Yep, yep. <laughs> they they and, went there. And, I, and I'm looking at this, even as a kid, I'm looking at this part isn't very funny. And as an adult, I'm like, mm, you got this. You didn't need this. You didn't need this. Same least, maybe they had done some, like, so I do like it when sometimes if you do it, they put a crazy spin on it. Like, mm-hmm. if the same person comes out of two doors at once or something, like, just surreal for the <clears> sake of it. It's a dream. They could do that, but no. It's a dream that could, they, you can basically do whatever you want, but at the same time, like, 
audiences have seen this before. Yeah. Oh, I will say American audiences. Yes. I will say in the beginning of this scene, one little nod I liked because it's a little bit of establishing Flip's character more is he sneaks to the police station. He's like, oh, this is my home away from home. Like, he has been arrested so many times, all the wanted posters are Yeah, him. yeah, that's a testament to his, um, to that. Douchebaggery. Well, that particular individual, yeah. So, you can tell that in this entire sequence of events, that Nemo is having fun. Like, yeah. Like, of all the shit that people hate Flip for, this guy knows how to have fun. Yep. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm going like, to assume for the story's sake, he didn't actually hurt anyone. No, I, you know, and I'm hoping that's the case. Because if is, not, Nemo, you're an accessory to murder. Yeah, Flip is about as, you know, he, he's about as selfless as fucking Jack Sparrow uh, as far as this this movie is concerned. The only problem is that he really doesn't have the depth to pull it off. Um, or, yeah, he doesn't really grow or anything. No, and that's that's my biggest issue with practically every character besides Nemo. But even still, there's there's a couple of scenes coming up where that actually shows just how great his relationship to Nemo is. And you mean Flip? They, yeah, Flip has a really good camaraderie, um, has a really, has really good chemistry. He, he, with he Nemo. does become, I do get the sense he's generally fond of Nemo. He's not like he, you're an accessory to my crime. He's like, I wanted to show this kid how to have fun. He, he's fond of Nemo, but even when, even when they disagree, and that's, that's probably one of my most favorite scenes in this movie, like you can tell just how much of a piece of shit that he is <laughs> and that even though he likes Nemo, he's not afraid to throw him under the bus. Oh yeah. We'll get to that. So, so, yeah. but so the end of this, like this flea is like, like I said, flip knows underway ways into underway passages. So he gets there. Nemo like sits on the sun. They find themselves up against this crazy intricate door, um, mm-hmm. which flip is actually unfamiliar with as well. But then Nemo recognizes this is that dragon shape. For the indentation, he's like, I think this is the the door the king was telling me about. And Flip was like, You don't say. Flip has to be that devil on their shoulder. (laughs) Maybe we should sneak a peek. He he takes one long look at it. He's like, Yeah, let's open it. You're right. Let's open. Yeah, yeah, very quick. (laughs) And of course, Nemo starts out like, "Uh, The king said we shouldn't. But of course, Flip has to, like I said, because the king was specific. Flip was like, You know, that if if he's saying keep it a secret, there's probably something really impressive and cool behind here. Like, who knows? The king's trying to take you down the side of righteousness. I'm yeah, the king's kind of cool stuff for me. Let's just sneak a little peek. And I'm try- I'm going to take you down the path that rocks. Yep, yep. And this is where he's the worst influence because he fucks everything up. Granted, I will say, from a technical standpoint, what they see is fucking awesome. It yeah. is this some of the best 2D effects animation I've ever seen in my life. As a kid, I don't think I've ever seen like 2D animation like that before. And I'm coming off the Little Mermaid. The closest like, comparison I can make is Hexus in Fern Gully. Definitely. Yeah, but I'm this looking is like at, even more. Hint, it's this puddle because it doesn't have a face to it um, just yet. It's this pile of you know shaking, sentient, almost like tar. This slime with some like thickness to it. One one touch I love is that you can see little like glowing parts in it, like these little crimson lights. Mm-hmm. Kind there of is, to add to the sensation. Like yeah, this stuff is alive. It's this weird amorphous kind of uh, kind of like definitely oily yes very alive alive kind of goo that's just that's just swimming just swimming and boiling and pulsating it starts to move like it's reacting it's become aware like oh shit somebody's opened the door somebody's looking at me and it starts to move for them and naturally they freak out and 
mostly closed the door and what is Flip's responsive helping? Gotta go. I hear my mommy calling. Yeah, he's he bounced. Like yeah, he fuck fucking, you, he's gone. Um, and so Nemo's like the door's not fully closed, but yeah, I gotta get away from this thing too. And Yeah, he tries he tries to he tries to get the key, but he can't. Yeah, it was too like, tall. He had to stand on Flip's shoulders. Yeah. Um and so yeah, and, thanks, Flip. And that's and that's that's I mean, a lot of people Okay, so there are problems with this movie, but I want to note just how smart this scene is. Because not only do, do we go from a wacky Scooby-Doo chase and fireworks and making dinosaur sneezes. To the first from, sign of a real threat. Yeah, like everything from the color tone to the music to the way that the, uh, to the, way that the camera follows Nemo sliding down this yeah, wet cavern cool into the door. Like it sets up this moment that these guys throughout all they've been through they ran away from cops that's a big deal but they crash into a door and basically come face to face with some kind of hellion monster and this is when shit can get yeah this is when shit can get kind of real and flip dips like this what's his out yeah, and the fact that Nemo has to stand on Flip's yeah. shoulders. If like if they'd made it where like Nemo just ran away too when and it was just it could just stop there to close it, that would be a huge nitpick, but it's like he wants to close it, but he can't do it on his own. Yeah. And it also underscores the fact that Flip was the one who uh, who helps Nemo up to do it. Yep. Nemo can't even correct his own goddamn mistake. I love that so much. It is a smart touch. And the fact that like the movie could have 100% blamed on Flip later on, but Nemo is, because the rest of the movie, like, I this is I did agree to this. I got to make this right. That is yeah. a cool little thing for Nemo. He, like, he doesn't, go through, he doesn't grow much, but I like the fact that he fessed up responsibility. So let's get yeah, the rest of it going. Cause, yeah, so now yeah we get, we're, get, we're getting into my favorite scene. This is when the movie peaks for me. The, so the coronation? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to find my notes here for it. Yeah, Nemo is, he gets there, and obviously the professor's like, dude, you're late, hurry up. And they put him in this, like, this royal guard. He looks like a nutcracker prince, honestly. Um, yeah. And, you know, we get this very formal, I like the fact that when it opens, he looks so nervous, and he just goose steps for a little bit, like, because he just has no idea to look formal. Yeah. Um, and so he's, you know, he gets seated. Uh, Camille's there in this other very, like, formal rogue compared to the rest of the movie. Uh, Icarus sitting with her because he's he's cool now with, with her, I guess. Oh, and so, the, yeah, the king shows up and does a little speech. There's a nice little touch where, because he mentions the key and Nemo's, who's, you know, been able to get caught at the moment, like you see him, like, glance at his, you know, his neck where the key would be, like, with a really horrified look, like, oh, shit. Yeah, that's, I mean, the way, the way that, the way that he does that is that he clutches at his heart. Like, yeah. like, like directly, like not only has Slumberland become so fucking dear to him um, that he clutches at his heart first, but that's the trust that <laughs> that the king he's, put into him. He's both broken the trust and he's like, he has no idea what's going to come out of this door. And that's legit scary to him. Like yeah. for all I talk about, about this movie story being inconsequential, there's some good buildup of tension in this. There, there is. Because there, you're, you're just opposing me- how jolly the party is with this gradual, this thing's getting free. Yeah, and Nemo's the only me, one who knows. Don't get me wrong. There are some real story-breaking problems with this film, mm-hmm. but the build-up to the main conflict of the story, really good, fucking brilliant. Like um, we're about, so, we're about, I mean, because we're 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 about to talk about like when shit goes down. Yes, before we and, do, I do have two funny asides I noted about the 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 jolly part, which is so he's Nemo's sitting because this is when the introduction of the scepter. It's I guess it's this ancient artifact that only the the royalty can use, and it has the power to keep peace and whatever. So the king introduces it by doing this incantation we hear a lot more of, which is like pajama, zatanna, jazama. Um, so he shoots this beam into the sky, and at first it looks like this 
like it, it kind of was imposing. Like even Nemo was like, "What's happening?" And it looks like a portal is going to open. I'm like, "Oh shit! Loki and his army are going to come out from the sky. What have you done, Morpheus?" But um, it actually just causes like you know, some more light shows because um, like hell, Morpheus is going to put his kingdom in danger. And I, I, I actually thought that that shit was pretty fucking badass. It looks cool. Yeah, no, it looks and, cool. And, I'm just and, saying, and if you don't know at first, you're like, "What is going to come out of this?" No, it's just yeah. a show. Yeah, like twenty different things could but come then out. Then he, so he gives it to. Okay, no. First, what happens is so they start doing a really boring waltz. Uh, for whatever reason, Professor Genius gets really hyped, and so he runs to the crowd like, "Let's live it up! Come on, party!" And you see the band <sighs> shrug and go, "All right, all right, faster!" And uh, we get this really well animated because Morpheus joins in because obviously he's he's the bigger you know kid at heart, and it's it, so he joins in really well animated them doing this goofy dance. Um, but I will say. I get the feeling that the voice actors were told to just improvise whatever they want over this. And so some of the dialogue is Heidi Hoo Hootie and Digga 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 Dinga. Really crazy, <laughs> just gibberish to the rhythm. Um, and there the other is... thing is, so Nemo is sitting, Nemo and Camille are sitting at, on the thrones and he's still looking super nervous. Um, and everybody else, she's like, she, you know, she's just enjoying the party. And then Flip, being the bastard, just sneaks up to his side because he snuck under a woman's dress to get into a party. And he sees the scepter, like, check, check this out. And Nemo screams, don't touch that. And the British just turns like, oh, did you say something? <laughs> he just screamed yeah. off his lungs. Yes, he said something. Yeah. So. Um, and she's like, hang on, let me put my hearing aid. That, yeah, yeah. That, that Heidi Ho scene uh, in, in coming up to this particular part. Uh, yeah. I don't. I've noted how amazing the animation is. And this is this is and I'm not kidding when I say this is where the story peaks for me because it absolutely does. And that that kind of weird scene when Professor Genius no goddamn reasons just starts. Yeah, I don't know with, what motivated with, him with, before he yeah, was just like tapping no his motivation. toe. It's, Something it's, it's happened started. in between cuts. He he was I think it's high as a high of his fucking hat. He just goes to see. Bl- yeah, yeah, yeah. He just goes fucking bananas and the king's like, I want some of that shit too. Um yeah, king makes sense. But Watching watching the film as a person in the audience, I'm like, I don't understand what's happening. And you know what? Uh, <laughs> I kind of want the scene to be over. Yeah, the dance goes on way too long. For as well this goes, this goes this. way too. And long. they just keep and, and like it because they're building up, they're ratcheting up the tension even more with Nemo stuff because he finally decides, fuck it, I need to go trying and close this door on my own. And it's I like when you have a tense thing where somebody's running off and somebody else is like, what, what's wrong? Because Camille has no idea what's happening. To, what's the matter? Like. It just kind of gives you that vibe like they man, Which, they have no idea what's coming. Yeah, and part of me doesn't buy the fact that Camille doesn't know what's going on because she comes off as kind of smart, but the movie doesn't allow her to be smart. And well, part of the- to do much of anything after this, but I was I, I mean I, I I can buy this aspect like there's no he because he and Flip are the only ones who know what's happened. Sure, but. Uh, Anyway, but okay, well, yeah, it's, well, it's, well, 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 what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is that before this, before you know, him and Flip are going bananas. Ah, uh, uh, man, this is this is what, and this is the part that kind of gets my goat about uh, Princess Camille hmm? is that when the king is like, this mighty scepter can only be entrusted to, and Nemo. of course it's of course it's Nemo. Yes, I know. And, and, yeah, and and but. You know, it's Nemo, this chump kid who came out of nowhere, who yes. no one met. And we never say why you picked him. Never say why you picked him. Yes, it's a dream. But you're the audience member going, but your daughter's right there. Yeah, <laughs> but, from birth and royalty. For, I, for birth and royalty is a princess, 
and now she's relegated to playmate. So yep. you're I have expected someone to bring it up, but then Morpheus goes, "Oh, a woman leader? This is a Japanese movie. Get real." Oh boy, yeah, that's an American thing too. I'm sorry to say, true, but, true. <laughs> um, and it's it's such a goddamn waste. Like yeah, they should have touched on this so more. They they barely do in the scene after this. We'll get to that. Um, but yeah, so let's get to. So we finally see what happens. It's, this ooze gets loose, much tons more great animation. Like you can see when it's climbing up those stairs, it makes little hands. Mm-hmm. Looks mm-hmm. really cool, and it's legit. Like I've heard other people say, this whole scene scared them too. For me, it's mainly one part, which is like Nima's trying so hard to get through, and then he runs to the exit door, and bam, it just comes out like this wave, and he immediately has turned back and know like I'm too late. This thing's out. And, and yeah, it, like it bursts the lights. People are screaming and running, and it's like, I'm the not going to your kingdom. I am going straight for your king. The way it shatters the lights, like, yeah. and I'm going to get, I'm going to go full on animation nerd here because sure. the lights explode in twos, and then like they kind of like stay exploded in like a nice swash of one, of of uh, in betweens and ones. So it's just like you see the debris off the gu- off the bulbs, just kind of like stay there for like half a second. A nice little, and, nice little out otherworldly touch. Yeah, it like you know something's bad. You know, like the the light from this world is extinguished. Yeah, that's how bad dead. it is. The colors get very gray and stark because mm-hmm. no reason to be jolly here. And yeah, apparently it kidnapping the the. So let's just get through. This is the king of nightmares. Um, yeah, apparently imprisoned by some point, but he is. Yeah, you know, I guess the idea is he is something someone of malice and discretion, and he. I, I guess meant maybe to maybe demoralize them. He takes Morpheus and warps away to his home. Mm-hmm. And people are freaked out. Uh, the professor's like, "What the hell?" And the, the princess is crying, and all the crowd is just like, "What? What just happened?" But and I should note, Nemo's trying to get the scepter to him this whole time because I think he realizes like this could help. But you know, fleeing crowds got to get in the way. So the king is taken, and people are like, "Nemo, how did this get loose?" And oh, Nemo's like, "Well, Flip kind of motivated me." And Flip, being a piece of shit, like, "No, no, no, this is all Nemo, guys, all Nemo." And this is where we start getting the weird trans. Are you still there? I'm still here. This yeah. is where we start getting some of the weird transitions between sessions because the crowd is like, they aren't pissed, but they're just trying to like let it sink in. Like, this is Nemo. They're, like, they're staying with Nemo. Over. Like, Nemo, how could Nemo be responsible for this? And he's freaking out. And then he wakes up in his bed. But he is still in his dream because this is, this is, this is one of the weird dream logic thing of just chunks the movie. He'll wake up, fake wake up in his bed and then go back to the Summerland. Um, so a couple things I want to note where – because he hears the king's, like, ghostly voice screaming for help. And uh, uh, un-intentionally un, un, uh, funny part, he goes, hey, wait a second, and picks up the sheets and looks down where his legs are. Oh, it's the scepter. I'm with you. <laughs> Good. Like, it, they could have gone in a very different direction that I would not like to have a nine-year-old and, and boy you, involved in. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> it's um, – I'm I'm just now reading that comment on YouTube, and I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that's uh, from like 20 minutes ago. But yeah, it was not this one of the skeeziest comments you've ever seen. Yeah, this is weird. I'm not gonna read uh, it. If oh you're boy. really curious, go on YouTube for yourself. But wow, that that is a oh boy. You put that out. You put that out there, friend. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Um, before okay, um, before we continue, sure. The scene when Flip and Nemo are arguing about the scepter. They're basically exchanging blame. The king is gone. Everybody's before, like before the kidnapping. I'm talking about like after the king is kidnapped. Like, okay. Oh yeah, they are kind of going. You did it. You did it. You did it. But Nemo, yeah, but Flip is that. Sh- that shit is for me. 
for uh, for me, that is the, the most brilliant part of this film. Only so? a, not not just because of the performance, um, but how everything has ratcheted up to this point. It showcases what kind of person Flip is, and like it really sets it in stone. Fucking like we spineless. Knew, yeah, we we knew, we, and we already knew. Uh, that flip was spineless. We never knew how spineless he was. He throws Nemo under the bus. Not only does he throw Nemo's under the bus, but everything he says is fucking true, and Nemo knows it. And yeah, Nemo is uh, not without blame. He agrees. Yeah. To- and everyone wants to hate Flip. Like Flip is not a good guy. He is nope. not a good person. But Nemo just wrecked the kingdom. On his first night. Yes, and, his paradise uh, and, has been ruined. And, and the only thing that he had to do was basically just keep his hands to himself and not touch the door. Yep. And he did whatever he wanted to do. Uh, seeing that kind of character exchange where they're they're pointing fingers at another. This is one point. Flip, like, he's so passionate to like not be the guy in this situation that when he points at Nemo, his hand fucking shakes. And I love it. He's I probably love terrified. He's terrified. And we'll actually get to, because they still do blame and, and we'll get to what happens from that. So, but it, yeah, so this is one of your favorite, this is one of your favorite parts from a character it, perspective. It, it is. The move, and this is, uh, and by that point, that is the high, that is the highest this movie ever goes. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll have some issues. I will have some issues with the color comes next, but I'll have some um, good compliments as well. So we get another, this is a pretty crazy transition, um, but it also drives home the metaphor because he goes down and there's, where he hears the king's voice and sees that pantry with remember your promise thing and it flashes Mm -hmm. the key. Mm -hmm. This whole dream was motivated by him breaking a promise in real life. Uh, And then for some reason, uh, the pantry explodes and floods everything. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know what that connotation is. It's a cool visual. It's pretty intense. But so here's another confusing thing. So instead of drowning, it washes him into like this big, pretty looking but desolate ocean. And Mm -hmm. he comes across the professor floating on like a briefcase. So Mm -hmm. you would probably be assumed to think that some, the kingdom is falling into further ruin. But they, (laughs) so they do have a tender part where like the professor still does not want to blame Nemo for this because he just likes him too much and hates Flip too much and Nemo has to drive like no you gotta I'm partially at fault here so I gotta try and do what I can to fix this that's that is probably my favorite thing about Nemo as a character is that he does man up I I do I do like the fact that he realizes the damage that he's done and it happens pretty organically look and it's he's only fortunate the way that the story makes it believable is that these events looks so goddamn horrific that you can't help but if you're a decent person and you know you're to blame you can't help but want to fix yeah he has come to love this love this land his friends there and he's if he knows there's a possibility that things right he can and it is worth noting like when your favorite scene you talked about he's not at that point he's just going no 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 over and over like he's not trying to fess up or blame he's just panicking yeah, yeah. And by this like point, he, because oh yeah, but when he first hits the ocean, that's when it sinks in. He like cries a bit. He's like, I, I screwed up. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a nice what little I, quiet moment. Yeah. What I don't like is the professor basically not saying anything about it either. Like he's still like, ah, flipping. You didn't do this yourself. Well, Flip he doesn't say anything. When, you see him kind of look kind of downtrown when he says. That I think is, he just he just doesn't want to admit to himself that Nemo sh- fucked up because he's so fond and, of him. And you know what? Uh, sure (laughs) that's a sure with a question mark because you only just met this kid yesterday 
Like this isn't, I mean, this isn't like Luke Skywalker, the chosen demonstrated his, his amazing abilities or, or anything like that. This was just some punk kid. The kid took off. Um, the King took off the street just because he's so goddamn cute. Yeah. And as a person, I would have like, I would like to have seen the professor as a person react a little bit more realistically instead of being yeah. like, Oh, from this point, realizes- professor and princess don't provide anything of worth. No. And that's, that's my biggest gripe with the movie is that, these yeah. characters we, don't act like people. They act like they act like NPCs. Yeah, they're just they're just there to be like, here's the plot. We'll follow you. Good yeah. night. And um, so we should keep. We, I think we should keep going. It's getting pretty near your bedtime. It is. I think. It is. It is. And so yeah, we should yeah. get through the last. We're about. We got about half hour left. So the confusing is so Nemo's. But Nemo remembers. Like he asked, "Do you know where the Nightmare King went?" He's like, "He has his own realm of Nightmare Land." And, and Nemo remembers that accidental map. Like. Flip has a map of where this thing is, and Fisher points out, "Well, he is. We're about to exile him into space because uh, they still, you know, he still took some of the blame for this, which so is pretty just, badass." I'll give yes, him that. Yes, but so what's confusing is they're like, "All right, we gotta get back to the kingdom. Paddle, paddle, paddle." While Chris is going like, "Wanto, wanto." So they get back to the kingdom, and I'm like, "So what was the Fisher doing a mile away from the kingdom <laughs> in the ocean?" I think that's just part of the dream well, logic. Well, well, he didn't. I guess he didn't know that Flip had the map. I guess. I, I just mean, why did he go? Why was he in that location? Like, why was he still not uh, in the kingdom? He, why was he just sinking? At- it's a cool <laughs> environment. It's a nice environment to have that more solemn talk. But it's, it's another part where, like, a dream logic transition just raises some more questions, and that just yeah, we're, we're about yeah, to get yeah. to another one that I think is more cool. So, uh, touching on, so it does seem like the princess is ruling in her father and Nemo's absence and doing fine with it. Uh, which, of course, kind of adds to your point, like, why why can't she have a part in this? So, <laughs> Flip's exile is going to be there stuffing him in a ball and shooting him into space. I like the fact that they're trying to put a blindfold on him. He's like, no, I want to see the show. Like, mm-hmm. he just does not seem that upset about it. He, he um, doesn't seem that upset until they put the cannon on. Yeah, he, <laughs> until they put the top the ball on. They're just like, hey, Philip, what you doing? Hey, hey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Nemo shows up. It's like, no, let him out. And says, and says like, all right, give us the map. <laughs> Flip's comment is, do you have the map? And he's like, oh, uh, how much you want for it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when he tries to give it to them, to them and either like he starts trying to walk off but um they're like this is what is it he's like oh it's it's in my secret code only i can read it it's like oh well, then you're coming along uh to be fair if i would flip i would say let me make a translated copy for you but i guess there's no time to waste so he's he's not that bright but yeah no and i do like that his one caveat is okay but you make me captain and really all that amounts to is that he has the steering wheel and yells to himself two degrees east aye aye captain like mm-hmm. he's in his own little world um yeah. So it is going off this rescue journey is Nemo, Icarus, Camille, uh, Professor, and Flip. Uh, I don't know what they brought any soldiers, but I guess that probably would have just cluttered things even more because it's not like they don't the char- these characters do much outside of Nemo. But what happens is Flip, being a piece of shit, falls asleep at the wheel and they get sucked into this whirlpool. But mm-hmm. as it turns out, instead of just going to the bottom of the ocean, it flips them, it plops them to another land, which I think is another. That's a cool dream transition, I think, like a fantastical way of the physics working. And hey, Flip did get them where he promised. <laughs> but I love that when they get out of the water, he looks at his map and it's just the ink is soaked up. He's like, uh-oh, what? Uh, nothing, nothing, follow me. And mm-hmm. uh, he just refuses to come off like a, like, a, like a buck up. And so this is, okay, so this is where, so they're, they're camping in this forest and they're, so they remember, oh yeah, yeah these, these creatures from the Black Lagoon show for a second to try and like, I guess, eat the princess. And I really like how these things are designed and animated first off. They're really like sinewy and, and like this, curved. Their entire design just makes it feel like a creature from the Black Lagoons. Yeah, I don't, I don't like, think that, yeah, I don't think that was a, 
that was, that was accidental there. <laughs> no, and I wish they came they came back in these other demon scenes. I really like their design. Um, but this is the proof for like when they're trying to help help her, he swings the scepter and they freak out. And yeah. that's, that's what we talked about where they're especially that like revolution. Like now we know this thing will definitely is it's it's anti nightmare. I don't know what the thing's history is. Like they don't explain it because it's a dream, whatever. But this is now like the most important item to hold on to. So they're having a campfire and trying to remember. Okay, so we there was that incantation you got to do to do it, and they're like so. How'd it go? And Nemo does point out, okay, well, I'm positive the second war was pajama because we had a whole argument about mine. And so Flip is, you know, being a grump and like, I'm going to, oh, he's, oh, I remember he's trying to fake recreating the map off on his own and doing a very poor job of it. And this is where he meets, this is where you're talking about the characters who kind of usurp his role. Yeah. The, yeah. the booms. Yeah, the little shape-shifting goblins. I, oh, I'm boy. not a fan of these guys, I got to say. I don't think, I don't think any... I don't think any sane person who likes this <laughs> like their core is concept fit. is cool, where they can kind of shift into these blobs and combine to be one guy or like a tree. But they're just goofs. They have these annoying over the top voice, like "Oh, hey, Nemo!" Um, they're just a bunch of them yelling over each other. Their songs very boring. As um, a kid, uh, as a kid, I, I really liked their design, and as I grew, they do a fun design uh, individually. Yes, and as I got older, I actually like was pretty inspired by their design, and that's that's actually how I came up with Cham's original core concept from um, oh. from from my film. Like in the original Pumpkin Cham and Pie on YouTube, Cham could turn into stuff, and huh. that's essentially what I was pulling from. Later, yeah. I was like, maybe that's not such a bad idea. Yeah, well, I wish they had more stuff to offer beyond that. I mean, technically, the story they do where – because they explain through song they they were exiled from Nightmareland because, oh, you're a nice nightmare. Get the fuck out of here. Um, yeah. But since uh-huh. they lost the map, they're like, well, yeah, we can show you where this thing is. And I love the fact that uh, there's a little exchange where Flip is like, I, I, well, what, 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 what am I supposed to – and, and Emil is immediately like, you're fired. They're hired. And he's like, but then what's my role here? You carry the luggage. Yeah. No and, one. No one No one really had – but the professor um, and Camille and, by extension, Icarus, don't really have much of a role in Nightmare well, Land. All Icarus does in this is this annoying screech. To get yeah. I don't know how he knew this, but it's just annoying to me as it is to them where they, for five seconds. They all, yeah, they all kind of just – they're there to get captured. And yeah. Flip, who – Flip honestly had the most to gain. And by, now that's gone. But Yeah, by actually – yeah, he actually could have grown into like a more likable character, yes. or or rather a character that could have at least helped turn things around. But yeah. all so, he really did was just kind of get them get them there, and he's still a piece of shit. So they gave the role to the goblins, and they were like, "Bye." <laughs> yeah, it will be helpful at least. Yeah. So, but almost immediately after this, so they're in this creepy forest, and oh, oh, captured. I remember because when they first are at the shore, we get that first glimpse of this badass flying manta ray thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a cool, cool design. Well animated, very creepy because you know man rays don't fly. And it look at it's kind of a monstrous shade and and proportion to it. So that's uh, you know that's our letting us know like okay the, the enemies are going to find out they're on the way, and that does explain what happens next. Where when Flip is wandering off on his own, this whole army of like kind of diversely designed bat monkey things show up. Like some of them are bird like, some of them are sinewy, some are straight up bats. And is another scene I remember. Some are just bats. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but I just remember, apparently, this is another scene that creeped out a lot of people because they're being pretty vicious. Like, they're throwing people over the place. They're, like, scratching at Nemo. It's almost mm-hmm. like they're out for blood. Uh, they're really, they're out, they're, are out for capturing everybody. Uh, thankfully, Nemo fake wakes up. Don't know how that works, but uh, he's, oh, he's trying to remember the incantation, too. There's his most common uh, dialogue with the rest of this climax is, like, just, like, variations on that gibberish. So, 
but he wakes up while they're like cornered him. And okay, I should mention, I forgot to mention, because I do have a slight history with this movie as a kid, which is that I wasn't aware of it was in theaters, and apparently did have a very limited release, but I saw some like newspaper magazine ads for it and rented it later. And the one thing I remember is it got to this point where he wakes up like, oh shit, but where's the scepter? And then like falls on the ground. He goes, oh, whoa. And that, as I think for whatever reason, my mom came in, we had to turn it off. I can't remember specifics because I was like five or six, but I think it was just in case we had to go somewhere and then Why? we had to return the tape to Blockbuster or whatever. And I was legit bummed that I never saw the rest of the movie. Wow. Yeah, wow. Um, and so, but thankfully for Nemo That's... and thanks to the Dream Logic, it's not just Tim and Icarus now. The booms pop up from under the bed and uh, for no goddamn reason, their friend they were looking for earlier crashes to the ceiling. Yeah. I, okay. It's just like kind of pop out and pop up in his room. And I'm like, oh, you guys again. <laughs> but, it's, but then this extra one. Oh, for no reason. Oh, and you brought a friend. And this one, oh. I mean, he kind of made me laugh because he looked and sounded like he was totally trashed or exhausted. Yeah. Because he's lying on the ground like, I'm so happy to see you guys. Like, he might as well be going like, oh, man, I love you guys. Oh. Oh, did you? I hated him, too. Like, yeah. they're, all, they're all super cute and adorable in some ugly way. Design but wise, this, yeah, but this guy is just—I want them to go away so much. Yeah, and now you they now you give me smart. A, nothing they say is funny. Their voices are annoying. Like, and now you give me a bigger, slower one yep. to deal Super. with. He sounds like oh, I got. He sounds like Big the Cat. He does sound like Froggy. Big the Cat. <laughs> um, but. Though the plot reason he's here is because, like I said, they were on the run. I guess he was left behind. But he was able to, while Morpheus was captured, pass on a note to him, which Uh is the full incantation. Because I guess before Morpheus was put in hibernation, as we'll find out, he knew this is the only way to defeat the king. Uh, Uh Weird reveal here because Icarus starts screaming. I have no idea how he knows this. He's like, no, no, if Nemo says his spell, he'll die. And I'm like, how do you – did we miss a scene? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's – Oof. It's falling apart. Like, this movie was falling apart, like, right after. All right. Well, right thankfully, the, a lot of what happens after this, I have more positive things to say about because... Sure, sure. Uh, call back to the beginning. Nemo's like, all right, I don't have other people here to get me to, to this nightmare land, but my bed. I remember my bed can fly, and you guys can guide me. Let's go. So the bed uh-huh. starts flying, and uh, they go through, like, a sky portal, like, because the... I guess they're guiding him. It's almost like a Neverland thing. Like, just follow that star, and then this this rift opens up. And they go through there, and i got to say, Nightmareland looks pretty badass. Yeah, it does. The environments for this last showdown are really cool and creative. It's dark. It's foreboding. But there's so there's some extra stuff to it. Like, they, they bounce off these pillars that, like, glow with rainbow light as feedback almost. Yeah. Some interesting stuff. And, like, they're going through these very narrow areas. A lot more of that we were talking about, like, the full frame where they're going through these tunnels looks amazing. Yeah. Um, and so now this is where we finally do see the Nightmare King, or as I call him, uh, Chernabog from Fantasia, wearing a cool robe with bigger teeth. Everyone says that. <laughs> he does not... look cool, and I like yeah, his he... voice. It kind of sounds like Megabyte from Reboot. Oh, he's his voice is amazing. He is a cliche fucking villain, though. Give me the scepter, Nemo, and I'll let you go. <laughs> me. Now, Nemo, I'm losing patience. Well, he's barely in it, so... Yeah. And he actually does... Some of the stuff he finally says in the final soldier, I do like, but we'll get to it. Because we get this scene briefly, the army that had kidnapped everybody else. uh, There's this one, like, I guess, leader. I like his design because he kind of... He feels like out of a Disney afternoon show. Like, I could see him being a villain of the day in gummy bears or something. Yeah. Uh, 
and he's going like, all right, we did it. And he straight up does a Heil Hitler sign, pretty much. Yes, he does. Hey, you the Night Dark King! And like, <laughs> Japan. Like, oh, oh, that was necessary. Yeah. Good job. But there oh. is a cool moment, because that Manta Ray shows up and whispers to him, and he's like, no, Nima's alive and on his way, and he flips out. And he has this power <laughs> to, like, summon wings of wind to, like, absorb people into him. He fucking black holes them, and the only thing I Yeah, it's see- creepy. I- the only thing I could yell was <laughs> the, the Nazi got swallowed by the evil he worshipped. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lesson to you neo-Nazis. Watch this scene. There's a lesson to you out there. <laughs> so so we get to the okay, so we get to the final showdown where so the, the king finally does once they get there, the king not only tracks them down, even though like they the the, goom, the, boom, the gooms the gooms knew this room that's like a little hidden patches are like, yeah, he won't know where we are. And so uh-huh. the king that draws them out shows uh, the captured outside characters in these tubes are like hibernation. So it's uh, Flip, Princess, Professor, and, and the King. And he's he didn't think about it. He's like, what do you think of my collection? Like, <laughs> And he does this creepy thing where he holds his finger to Camille's tube and is like electrocuting her. And that's what sets Nemo's little off. He's like, stop it! And he's like, oh, now I know who you are. Oh, so that's where Yeah. And so, but Nemo, because he lowers the king without a tube as bait, and Nemo comes up like, I got the scepter, and then bam, the tube comes up, and like, the king's like, yeah, yeah, that would be that easy. Fuck off. I, see, yeah, see, I, I, I know this villain is cliche as hell, and he's not really that that motivated. He only has like but, three minutes of screen time, but. Yeah, but he is petty as shit, yeah, and he I both, love it. He has a physical princess, <laughs> there's some cool things he does with abilities, and I love the fact when he's finally talked to Nemo, he is just a big bully. He's like, <laughs> just go run off to mommy. And like, Nemo starts trying to remember the spell, and, words, and like, he's like, oh yeah, pajamas sure are scary. Um, <laughs> I think at one point, like, because he, mo- he can teleport his hands, and for no reason, he just comes out and like brushes the back of the big boom, which really skis him out. Yeah. Like, he is just relishing and fucking with these people. I, I kind of love it. Yeah, like. and so we do get, okay, so we get this this fight. It gets it gets pretty violent because, you know, he finally yelling the, the incantation and he cuts that that ray in half. Like, yeah. blood and guts everywhere. That thing is dead. That shit and, is great. And it exploded and, in, in like a thousand pieces. Yes, and the king still doesn't get that, uh, the Nightmare King still doesn't get that first, but then Nemo sh- blows up his hand with it and then he gets pissed. So he starts yeah. doing the black hole thing you're talking about and this is another part. It gets it gets kind of intense. Um, like every it, the, the the booms and Icarus reenact the end of uh, Pikachu's rescue adventure, where they one by one cling to each other, and the big one is, is Snorlax holding them all with his chain. I will say the the least negative positive thing about this is audio wise, Nemo is screaming the invitation the entire time. So we get like five minutes. Um, though, yeah, I, what? But it's incredible. It's incredibly what? Degrading it. Yeah, it's a shame. That's, like, that's one of the one things I remembered about when I steamed through this movie the first time on YouTube. Like, I like everything about this except for Nemo and the boom screaming the whole thing. Um, great scene to watch on mute, though. But I will say I laughed at it at one point where he just, like, does this really anguished, Pajama! And so the last <laughs> moment's actually getting intense, too, because Icarus is, like, holding onto the staff, trying to get him to read it. And then he gets thrown off and sucked into the black hole. And Nemo gets freaked out, but he manages to save the last incantation and... Bam! The king gets lasered out of existence. Um, it looked like it hurt too. He like his face distorts in this last crazy scream. And thankfully, because I guess because he's he's gone and he sucks up his demons, his influence fades, and the the king becomes actually very pretty and serene looking. And things get very quiet for a moment. Uh, and then, of course, we do get a fake. Oh, is Nemo dead? And I'm like, 
because everybody like, just, he, he, he's un- he looks like he's just unconscious but like yeah. everybody said loose but we, so, gotta, like, we, get, but we gotta play it up yeah so like Icarus and the princess are all crying and uh, the princess is like oh poor boy and I'm just like check his pulse at least guys <laughs> uh, there's kind of a nice thing where the king just walks over I think it's a cool just position because he's been so jolly this whole movie and he isn't mourning or telling everybody he just walks over very quietly like I saw him and just picks Nemo up and it turns out the scepter because it's the Deus Ex Machina can heal him I guess and mm-hmm. he wakes up, and Nemo, of course, his first thing to do is apologize about all this. But the king's looking at the bright guy because he's like, the process of this is that we did, we did vanquish the Nightmare King. We don't have to worry about him anymore. Yay, good. And that, Which I got to ask, <laughs> what would have stopped you earlier from, like, getting a battalion, opening the door, and yelling the incantation to kill him yeah, before he knew yeah. what was going on? Yeah. I know the answer is we wouldn't have a movie, but, you know, we bring mm-hmm. this up a lot. So then we get to, you know, the, 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 the wrap-up, which is... A little big. I guess they just decide Nemo's going to go home. Uh, I don't know because he's still. Uh, I guess he's still Canal's prince because he gives Flippa's punishment, which is that you can't smoke cigars anymore. Because Flippa's had cigars the whole movie. Uh, the grand before he does, Flip has like a fake out scepter he uses. Then he smokes it. And I swear it looks like he's lighting the biggest joint in the world. It would have been, yeah. It would have been a little bit more entertaining. Yeah, but, it's it's but, kind of a throwaway scene. Flips for a well, and I, even though I'm convinced he killed himself in that because he starts like coughing himself away. Oh, uh, he's dead. He's yeah, like legit with dead. Mickey Rooney's got that, and like when he first sees the booms, he like puts his hand on his heart and falls over, and I'm like, oh, Mickey Rooney's death preemptively caught on film. Um, mm-hmm. And so he, yeah, that's Flips' exit is getting losing his favorite thing with Crow following him. Come back, come back. And the, I guess, oh yeah, the booms are welcome to the new liner too because they're just doing this goofy dance on. I wonder if that's where the Michael Jackson guy like was left in. So they get a nice, nice kind of more panoramic thing because I guess uh, the princess and the dirigible escort Nemo home. Um, and he was like, "Yep, there's my house." And princess is finally getting getting uh, smoochy. She's like, "I had a great time." He seems really nervous. And the moment he kisses her, bam, he wakes up. And my, oh, my last laugh of the movie is. Both that when it pans him on the bed, he's still doing the smooch smooch position, mm-hmm. which looks pretty goofy. And his mom wakes him up saying, "Oh, he th- thankfully you didn't fall out of the bed this time." So mm-hmm. I think we're supposed to assume the whole night he was wake, he was sleep falling out of his bed and getting back in. And his parents were like, "What the hell is going on with him?" Yeah, they're just um, fucking watching him. Mm-hmm. And this last scene is totally throwaway because he well he apologizes about the pie and his mom doesn't seem to care it over. It's like, "Oh, that's all right." And then his guy comes in, is like, "Okay, we're gonna go to the circus." The last line is Nemo going, "Hot dog, we're going to the circus, Icarus." The the end and the movie ends like that's the note you end on like that's the mo- that's the movie guys that's the movie that is not, the a, sense, yes. not, a, not a sense that these things actually happened or no. anything like that it's just like oh you apologize for the pie that's okay let's go to the circus the end. moving what? on man it was so fucking anticlimactic <laughs> the way it ended um, I was, as a kid i was like that's it i'm making my own sequel and i would like they, they, the they should have – I wouldn't have minded if the opening had a little more time devoted to his modern life to set up the conflict. Yeah, maybe, it would have, maybe they could have had a better payoff at the end. Yeah, that would have been nice. But oh. yeah, that is Little Nemo or as I like to call it, the death of Chris's childhood this episode. Oh, I, I wouldn't say the death of because I, I did enjoy it. And okay, I actually uh, – and, and you know what? I actually re- – I, I have a lot of issues with this film. Yeah, but I actually them. Yeah, but I actually love it. I even cool. despite those issues, I don't I don't think it's a narrative masterpiece. I think it's a visual feast. I think it's a, yes. I think visually it is amazing. If, you can learn a lot if from you it. are an animator, 
I, I got I do think you owe it to yourself to watch this movie. Maybe watch all the parts where Nemo is screaming on mute, but it's just yes, constantly these animators gave it their all. Yeah, like it's, every every scene looks like like even the throwaway scenes, even yeah. the scenes where that that don't really like provide much for the film. Like you can t- <gasps> excuse me, that came off awful. Uh, you get to the hiccups, yeah, that's yeah, the best part. I get the hiccups. Even the throwaway scenes, they're animated very well. You can yeah. you can learn a lot from watching this film as far as character performances, for how to play around with perspective. Yes. Even like like there's so much to gain here. I, I like I said, I praised earlier all the characters in this are very expressive and very lively without going too over the top, generally. It's just they these TMS guys, man. They fucking rock. They were on fucking fire. Um, Well, I don't know if they rock so much anymore because I looked up the only movies they've done because this was a bomb. Yeah. Um, In it cost about thirty five million to make, which in eighties movie not cheap. In Japan, it made ten million. In America, it made one million. Yikes! And that was pretty much it. And uh, the sadder part is that director I mentioned. I think it's. Yutaka Fujioka, he retired from the whole industry after this. I can't help but wonder if he was fired. Uh, And then he died like six years later. That's a shame. Like, this must have been like something he really wanted to do. And it It meant a lot to him, and it did not work out for the studio, and I guess for himself as well. So, yeah. I mean, it's any caveat. There are, this film does have fans. It does. It does. And I just want to say that, like, even though, like, the writing, even though, like, the writing doesn't hold up past, past Act Two. Like there are still like some phenomenal and, stuff, you can and get I still from feel that. like the writing before that is still generally shallow. Mm-hmm. But like I said, um, and I mentioned the wholesomeness. Like if you don't, if like QCT was a turnoff, maybe you won't like that. But I got to give it credit that it it, it bucks the trend of trying to like oh kids movie. Then we got to be raunchy. We got to make random movie references. This movie is for all intents and purposes timeless. Um, yeah. I mean, the it's over a vibe. It kind of reminds me of like the old school Disney stuff. I can see that, yeah. And That's I'm sure this really sure. took a lot of influence from, especially since they had some of those people involved. Mm-hmm. I would so yes, I would recommend it to people who love a visual, who can enjoy good visuals. If the story, even the story, doesn't interest them, and I would actually say anybody with kids, I think this is something kids could get a lot out of. Yeah, because uh, you certainly I mean, did. Yeah, I, I did. I mean, obviously, obviously, my parents didn't really pay much attention to what I watched and if I was scared by something then I, they would fucking know because I would like run yeah, to their fucking I, room if your kid but, can deal with because I still think the scariest part is the first five minutes with the train mm-hmm. and people say some of the other nightmare stuff scared them but I think that's more I think that's something kids would have easier time getting through uh, it's uh, each kid is different yes uh, give I'll or take Give if or take. Too, so, if, so, if they so say turn mile, it off, turn it off. But otherwise, so, so yeah, your mileage will will definitely vary. But yeah. I'm of the impression that kids, that parents, uh, you should uh, absolutely parents should absolutely watch scary things with their kids because you know that they're there. You be you'll be able to protect them um, and let them know that everything's going to be all right. But if there's a life lesson to be learned, say oh, like I just from, remembered, say, I just say remembered. like from say like from a stronger film like um, Don Blue films. Then you can teach them like, hey, these things aren't nec- these things are part of life. We still They're- get it in some. Like we we praised Leica for it. I still think the end of Toy Story three is like the most intense part of a Disney Pixar movie. And other like other Pixar movies, Coco isn't scary, but it delves into some dark and very devious acts that mm-hmm. have happened can very much happen in real life. Like yeah. stuff like that that's more under the radar, but dark when you think about it. But I, I, I got to say, you just remembered, you just rem- I just remembered we're talking about show with kids scary thing. Speaking of crazy YouTube comments, um, have you ever seen the movie The Witches? 
I think I have. It's a Roald Dahl adaptation um, about which is trying to turn kids into mice. I see. I, see, I did see that. Yeah, good movie, good book. Uh, the movie is legit scary at points, mainly when like when the people are transforming the mice. Like Jim Henson did these custom animatronics with the midway points that look so creepy. Um, so I looked up a YouTube compilation of when they turned the main witch into a mouse, which is like that. I remember I saw that and that stuck out to me. It's so freaky looking. Uh, yeah. And one comment stuck out. Why am I turned on by this? What the fuck is wrong? Uh, with what is wrong with YouTube? I don't understand. And yet that's still not as gross as the little Nemo comment yeah, that I'm not going to say. Super gross. <laughs> All but right. Yeah, I, I little, have to, I, I have to, I have to jump off, but this was fun. I will say, okay, well, a very last quick thing, and I don't know if you're aware of this, because there's been a resurgence of stuff for me, literally, where I'm hearing about the Lima, because, like I said, Cartoon Lampoon podcast, an episode of it. Uh, two of them were kind of like us. One of them fucking hated it, but they had some fun stuff to say. Here's the other thing. Did you hear about the reboot announcement? Yes, I did. So, I don't know if you can call it a reboot, because it is... The press release did not mention this movie at all. It sounds like they're just going to focus solely on the strips for illustration. But uh, on animation, the same studio that did The Little Prince, which I praised last year, is going to do a CG new movie based on the Little Nemo comic. It will be the first directorial thing by the guy who was the director of animation for Moana, which that was a gorgeous looking movie. So I'm curious to see what he can do with a full production under his wing. And uh, I think I read like one or two other talented people, like one of the people find Frozen and stuff, like. And you heard me talk about how much I love Little Prince, so I have hope that this could be a cool movie. Yeah, I think and so, too. maybe they can retain some of the best elements from this and you know deliver the more concrete story we, and characters we want. I would love that, actually. Yeah, Time that would tell. be fun. Yeah. Time will tell. But, yeah, so this is going to bring uh, episode 26 to a close. Uh, it is past Chris's bedtime. Yes, it is. His personal slumberland. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I will just, for people who don't know about our next episode, to continue with this theme month, uh, episode 27 will be my pick. And I'm going to pick something I'd say is even more obscure over here because it never even got a fair shot. The French TV cartoon Dragon Hunters, uh, ah. something that meant a lot to me when I discovered it in college. And still, honestly, looking at what I'm doing now, it's a major. It's majorly rubbed off on stuff like Space Chase, and I will get into why we talk about it. And Chris, I will send you some episodes because it's a little hard to find. Um, okay. There's also a movie you don't have to watch. I'll bring it up because it's kind of like this where there's a lot of cool stuff to it, but it's much more flawed than the show writing wise. But yeah, people go try and look up Dragon Hunters, specifically the first season. I will get into why. And uh, I'm going to run this by you now. Would you be interested in at some point soon after it comes out doing a dedicated bonus episode for Infinity War? Um, For Infinity War. It depends on when. I'll, uh, I'll keep it in mind. I, I can't make any promises. If you can't, I might also reach out to Tyler because he sees a ton of movies and I've been meaning to have him guest again. Like, would you be okay if it was just me and him talking that? Sure, that's fine. All right, I'll reach out to him. So people, we're going to try and see if we can do some sort of Infinity War episode because it is the most hyped I've ever been for a superhero movie. I'm um, sorry, Dark Knight Rises to beat you in that regard. And I'm sure we're going to have a lot to say regardless of how I feel about it. So in the meantime, follow our, our Facebook and Twitter pages for more updates on stuff. I'll probably post in some stuff for light after this episode is out relating to Dragon Hunters and how to help you. I'm one of the only people who has uploaded clips of that show on my YouTube just because I love it so much. But yeah, so that will do it for episode 26. Thank you so much for listening. I am John Flurry. And I'm Christopher Wade, everybody. And uh, Satana Pajama, Mamama, Dodema. I should just scream that for five minutes. Your sound speaks volumes. Roll credits. <laughs> Roll credits. Roll credits before I, before I get to it. Satana Pajama. <laughs>